Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Three hours of fun, entertainment, education, enlightenment. What else are we calling it, Sean? Information. Informative entertainment. (laughs) Why'd you use that accent? Because I'm from Merrill Lynch. Hey, uh, here's the deal. On this program, we want to give you the information. Now, not all of the facts of life are essential. Oh, wait a minute. Are we having the talk here? We're having the talk. Oh, my gosh. Not not that talk. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of news. And so every morning we go through a ton of information, a ton of news. And it's hard because, you know, we'd like to keep you informed. Mm -hmm. But we're not a news agency. It sounds weird. We're not ABC. We're not ABC. We're not the BBC, for mm, heaven's sake. That's sakes. true. But what we are is we are truly and entirely committed to helping you find out the essential facts of life, right? Again, not all information is equal. We're going to give you the, the headlines, some of the latest headlines, but we also want to take it a little bit deeper and uh, hopefully give you some more tools, some more uh, insight for how all of this news changes your life. Today on the show, we'll first do some headlines. After that, we're going to be bringing on Jay McFarland, who's a good friend of mine, also uh, is a radio talk show host of a program called The Browsers, and is really a tech uh, guru. He, Nobody I know loves technology more than this guy, and uh, we're just going to you know, pepper him with questions, find out what's, what's new, what we need to worry about. Well, we should ask him what he feels about AI then. Exactly. Yeah. Is he as worried as Bill Gates? I mean, Bill Gates is terrified. But it's funny because Bill Gates is, is, you know, he created the monster. It's just a movie with Haley Joel Osment. Come on. It's an interesting, I mean, it's a lot of movies, interestingly. Uh, A little uh, artificial intelligence, we'll get into that. And the Samsung spying television. Oh, oh, you're calling it a spying television now? No, that's how they're marketing it. Is this? Would you like your television to spy on you while you're watching it? Is Samsung actually the NSA? No. Oh, well, you know, they just, I'm just, they just provide I thought services. maybe it was just, just like a company name that no, the NSA not. was using. Or... No, come on. It's just a television. By the way, it's not just Samsung, for heaven's sakes. There's a lot of technology. Even your iPhone yes. is listening. Ooh. It's paying attention. That's why you can sometimes just... I hear you. It hears you. It, it records you. you. When you call Siri, that's why she answers. So we'll get into that today as well. Plus, throughout the entire show, other interesting thing. What if I told you that there is an airline that is setting you up on dates? I've heard that. And will help you have and, and, and find your match. And they'll, they'll match Ooh. you up, and then you'll get to sit by them, and then they'll send you to the place that would be wait ideal. Wait, 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 wait. An airline. Oh, you're going to get into that later, aren't you? That's later. Okay. That's way down the road. Okay. But before we go there, let's do some headlines. What what uh, what what have you been noticing? Remember, um, President Obama. Yeah. He's 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 getting serious. I remember him. He's yes. getting serious about security. Wait 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 wait. wait. 
He's getting serious. Just now, six years into his term, well, he's just now getting serious? Well, he's now about starting to uh, create— Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should have some security now. Well, no. What? He, what? He, well, this—no, listen. you got to listen. He's going to encourage companies to share cyber threat data. President Barack Obama, according to Reuters, is set to sign an executive order on Friday— aimed at encouraging companies to share more information about cybersecurity threats with the government and each other, which is a response to the attacks like uh, they saw on Sony Entertainment. Okay. So he needs companies. Is this to gather information about each attack or to to kind of gather information for like best practices and things like that? It's probably all of the above, but big companies, Amazon, Google, he wants these organizations to get a little bit more involved. In cybersecurity. You know what? I can see all these people coming to the table and not bringing a darn thing because they don't want to reveal any of their own secrets. That's, in fact, pretty much what's happening. Yeah. Uh, Obama will sign the order at a day-long conference on cybersecurity at Stanford University in the heart of Silicon Valley. However, big companies, certain companies, actually won't be attending Oh, geez. Let me guess. One might be Google. Google, Facebook, and mm-hmm. Yahoo are not sending their chief executives to the Stanford yep. conference because of Which this Which is interesting rift. because I know Eric Snow. Isn't Eric Snow? Eric, uh, no. That's not his last name. Eric No or Snow? Eric, uh, I, I, he used to be the head of, of Novell here in in Utah. Yeah, he, and now he's he's uh, he's at I believe he's at Google, isn't he? Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the uh, I, I don't Eric know. Schmidt. Schmidt, Eric Schmidt. These companies are are not going to this because they've refused to give full support to cybersecurity bills without some reform of surveillance practices that were exposed by Snowden that have hurt U.S. technology mm-hmm. company efforts to win business in other countries. So here's the deal: you can't be throwing the companies under the bus and exposing their technologies and expect them to participate right you have to play with each other we have to all get in the sandbox good luck and get along and you know what these but this is a whole different type of company now it's a whole different kind of world i know so this is what we've been talking about a lot on the show we may be evolving in technology to a point that we have to evolve our thinking we have to evolve our practices even our business practices it's it's interesting. We are such a you know a, de- a mutually dependent type of world, and yet our theories of competition are also impeding. And government has to play differently with these businesses. Government can't be your enemy one minute and your friend the next minute, and then your enemy again and beating you up. At some point, can't we all just, just get along? Get along on the on the cyber highway, whatever. Um, other interesting news. Did you hear about the West Coast seaports? There's a lot of them. What, what? They're shut down. Oh. Why? About one trillion. Weather? No. Strike. Oh. There's union? a strike. The Yangming Masculinity, YMMS what? cargo ship. That's a cargo ship. Yangming Masculinity. It's a cargo ship anchored off Long Beach. It's waiting to be unloaded due to a labor dispute. Oh, I hope that labor dispute gets taken care of because I've, I've got a cruise to take later this year. Well, be careful because currently, today, thir- uh, uh, yesterday, 15 ships arrived at port and there were already 20 ships anchored off coast. Ooh. 
and they 35 have to take their ships turn. are now awaiting berths to and to dock and to clear their I hope they don't boat. have a lot of produce on board. They do. Oh wow. Some of them do have produce on board, but these are these are uh they're unloading ships from Asia, you know, with car parts, dresses, furniture, electronics, and then they also are going to be loading to all of the exports of America. Interestingly, around 1 trillion dollars worth of cargo goes out of the West Coast annually. Oh yeah. And so you know that Long Beach area, that port there is huge. It's one of the biggest. Twenty nine ports. I didn't know that uh, on the West Coast. I guess one core, actually twenty nine, probably U.S. wide. One quarter of them, though, are shut down. That's so unless a lot. these people can get along and start talking, folks, you might not get. You know, your, sounds like a theme so far. You hearing it? Getting along. It's it's all about the relationship. Rodney King hit it I'm on the you. head, and he didn't even know it. Uh, that, that pun was not intended, by no. the way. I'm talking about the nail. Yeah. Yes. Sad uh, story here. Did you see this? This is the, I want. This is a warning, and it's. And we're going to talk to Jay a little bit about it. A Russian woman dies after dropping her uh, phone, her iPhone, in the bathtub that was charging. She was charging her iPhone. It fell into the bathtub, electrocuted her. Okay. First of all, why do you need your iPhone in the tub? Oh, Sean. Come on. Facebook. That's what a computer is for. But you're not going to take your computer to the tub. But isn't it interesting? We all... I have a shelf across the tub just for my computer. But it's really... Have a desktop. This, this is I'm sorry. I couldn't say that with a straight face. But we all know not to take a hair dryer into the bathtub. You know But there's that. no warning on an iPhone, so I well, think it's Apple's fault. Well, no, but let's check this out. In the end, it's... We have teens that don't – I grew up when people were dying with hair dryers falling into bathtubs. But that's why there's warnings on them now. Well, is your, is your 12-year-old reading the warning? No, I read it for her right. and tell her, don't I, do this. You should see my charger for my iPhone. I have seen it. The, the frayed cord. It's frayed. I, yes. I have had a fire start in my car with my charger because they're all frayed. They're all frayed around the edges. And guess what? In the end, we it's just a device, but it's a de- that little crazy charger killed a woman. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but I don't think our I don't ever think my iPhone's going to hurt me. <sighs> we got to be careful. Yeah, that's sneaky because I mean, you when when you think of that about those situations, you think about the hair dryer, yeah, you think yeah. about the hair straightener that's or right. whatever. Don't think about your phone. You don't think about your phone. She's probably just charging it, yeah. not thinking a big thing, and then all of a sudden, I just slipped. Game over. Boy, sad. Anyway, uh, we, we've got a, a great guest, a good friend of mine, and uh, somebody I respect, uh, really kind of a renaissance man in a way. He's on the radio, has a great radio show called The Browsers, and uh, is really a tech guru, is a app designer, is an author, uh, was a small business owner. He's really incredible. Jay McFarland's going to join us. We're going to pick his brain on all things technology. And uh, if you have any questions for Jay or anything about technology, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to get your call on and uh, ask Jay. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Secret, secret. I've got a secret. It's on my Samsung television. It's videotaping me. I mean, it's, it's listening to my conversations. Hey, we've got a great guest now, a good friend. Jay McFarland is on the line with us. Uh, Jay is a talk show host. Uh, really, I, I, he is a, a renaissance man, true blue renaissance man, loves technology, designs apps, uh, has a bunch of different apps that he's he's put out there on the App Store. He also uh, is a, let's call him just a technology, I call him a guru, because whenever, whenever I have a question, I just ask Jay, and he's like, well, here's seven ways to do it. I'm like, oh, really? I had no way to do it except calling you. But if you want to find out more about him, Jay's our, our tech guy, and go to his website, jaymcfarland.com, and uh, he'll, he'll give you some insight on that. Jay, are you there? I am here. Good morning. How are you, brother? I'm doing fantastic. Sorry uh, for getting you up so early. Well, I have uh, children that still do that job for you, so uh, uh, I was <laughs> going to be up anyway. You were up anyway. Yes. Jay, are you really? Okay, how many apps do you have now? Uh, over 100. Jay, I get bored. You I are. <laughs> what does your wife bored. do when you're just designing an app? Do you guys ever I talk? After she goes to bed, that's prime time. Is that is that what you do? You stay up and do it? Absolutely. A hundred different apps. And my yeah. kids have played a bunch of them. Where do they, do they find those on your website? Yeah, or if you just go into any app store, you can just type in Jay McFarland. And that's whether it's Google, iTunes, whatever. You'll find me. I'm, I know. I'm hanging out everywhere. Well, this is the deal. Smart dude, but you've also been a businessman. You've run a bunch of different uh, restaurants. And uh, yeah. here's what I want to know. Do you prefer running a bunch of uh, restaurants, having to get a bunch of teenagers working to make money for you? Or would you rather just sit in a dark room designing an app? Oh, that's a no-brainer. I'll take the dark room all day long. I think that's a smart choice, man. Yeah. And yeah. Now, now that I'm doing this show, see, you're used to doing shows for many hours a day. Yeah. Now, now that I'm doing this three-hour show, I start to realize, no wonder you do so much app work, because eventually that will be your retirement, and you well, won't yeah, have to talk. Well, that's the idea, is, is, is you know, you and I have had this conversation, finding ways to duplicate your efforts. That's right. Instead of just getting paid for one hour's pay for one hour's work. That's right. I want to do the work and then let it produce for years to come while I'm sitting on a beach in Belize. That's the goal. I haven't got there yet, but That's I'm it. working on it. Well, you know what? You're, you also, though, I know you're passionate. I know you're reading always about technology. Every day on your show, you do, I don't even know, 20, 30 stories probably yeah. uh, that you find on the browser. Uh, talk about Samsung TV. That's in the news do we need to be worried about our, our smart TVs listening in on our conversations? Well, actually, the real worry here is that we are all agreeing to terms and conditions without reading them. That's the real problem, yeah. is that we go on a website, we go on Facebook, we, we get out our smart devices, and we're presented with this language at the beginning, and it's long, and it's in this legalese. And we all just check and say, accept. Oh, yeah. And that's the problem. And that's what happened with Samsung is somebody actually took a minute to read the fine print in the user agreement. <laughs> There's like one on guy Samsung. that's done that. Yeah. Yeah. He just read through it. And, and he was shocked by what he, what he found because these new Samsung smart TVs, we've actually been testing one out yeah. at, at the station. I've had a 55-inch 
Samsung Smart Ultra HD on my desk in my cubicle for about that, three months. That's got to be funny because your cubicle is probably, I don't know, six feet by six feet or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is the curved display. Inch. Oh, is it and really? I, I, I feel like it focuses all of the... All of the heat and the and the waves right to the center of my brain. Yeah, you're being radiated. Yeah, yeah. So these have a great feature. It's kind of like Siri on your phone yeah. or Google Voice. You don't have to type anything in the remote because we all know that's that's just a that's, horrific process. That's old school. That's right. And so you just talk to the remote, and it takes what you say. It sends it through the internet back to Samsung's headquarters. And it translates it into a command and sends it back to the TV. The exact same process that's happening right. on your iPhone or yeah. your Google Voice. The problem is the fine print basically describes what sounds like your TV is listening all the time. So it says it may pick up other conversations that you're having in your living room. And, oh. and, <laughs> and send it, it, it sends it to Samsung Yes. so they could hear your fight with your wife. Yes. Your argument. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Or they could hear what my co-host and I have been talking about at our desk for the last two that's months, true. which we could lose our jobs, as you know. That's, that's right. Or they could <laughs> hear the, the what, what the paramedics say when they pick you up because you're over-radiated by a Samsung <laughs> yeah. curved television. Because my brain is fried. <laughs> yeah. But Samsung came out and they said, look, this is, this is just legal ease. This is just... You know, a lawyer covering themselves to an extreme sure. just in case something happens. But Samsung says this is no different than when you talk into any other smart device. It is listening. It is recording and storing all of that data and information. <laughs> and so if you don't want somebody else to know that, don't speak, you know, private terms or secrets <laughs> directly into your smart TV. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That is so – so juxtapose that to Obama now coming out wanting companies to now share cyber threat data. Yes. So now you've got a bunch of terrorists around their Samsung television. I guess this is the ideal scenario. They're happy, they happen to be talking into the remote. It's all stored on Samsung's you know, hard drives. Then Samsung yeah, sends that information to the government, and we catch threats. Yeah, but the the mm. other side of that is that these companies, you know, they're having that big cybersecurity summit. Yeah, today. today. No one seems a to be showing of, up, though. Yeah, a lot of companies are not participating right. or they're participating with concerns because companies know that if we consumers believe for a single second that our private data is just being handed over to Uncle Sam, that we'll jump ship yeah. on those companies. You bet. Because we, you know, Matt, we want to be able to have perfect privacy so we can then go and put all our personal and private information out yeah. on Facebook or Instagram or whatever else. But we want total control of it. That's right. <laughs> so, you, you know what? You hit it when you said we're all agreeing to terms and conditions that none of us have even paid attention to. Yeah, we're yeah. already giving so much information away, and we don't even bat an eye. Well, and that's the thing, Matt. When you think about it, we would sit here and cry foul about privacy concerns. Yeah, but just click a checkbox because that's we right. don't want to be troubled with. It. That's right. We don't want to. You know, it's going to take too much time. Yeah, or we're going to have to hire an attorney every time I agree to some new social network. Ah, uh, should we? I mean, so what do we do? I guess. I guess we just. Oh, I've, I've given up. 
Have you? Oh no way! The tech, the tech guru the gave up. You can't give up. As long as the service is of value to me, I just check the box. Yeah. What is privacy anymore? I don't right. feel like that's a real thing. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a fallacy. That's probably you're probably right though, really. Yeah. And. You know, we won't. It, it, we won't need to know. We'll our our great great grandchildren will find it all out. Yeah, exactly. And then it's over. Hey, well, uh, and the truth is, my life is pretty boring. So you know, I'm not too worried about people sneaking in and watching me develop apps in the middle of the night. That's right. Hey, talk about um, artificial intelligence. J- just give me about one minute. You know, Bill Gates is worried about it. Yes. I mean, we, we don't worry about signing these little waivers but and agreeing to check the box, but should we be worried about artificial intelligence? Well, Elon Musk, the CEO of yeah. Tesla, has also come out and said that this should be one of our biggest concerns. They've both obviously watched a lot of Terminator movies, yeah. and they know that Judgment Day is coming when uh, the machines will turn against us and realize we're a danger to ourselves and to the machines. Uh, I think it's a very interesting world that we live in where uh, very soon you're going to go to a hospital and it's going to be a computer that diagnoses you first. Yeah. And and it will do a better job than humans in a lot of cases. Well, because it's not going to have a bad morning. Right. It didn't just get in a fight with its wife. <laughs> right? That's exactly it's right. It's just going to turn on. I think this debate is going on on the battlefield. Drones. Should a drone be able to decide whether or not oh. it can pull the trigger? Yeah, no. So let's th- not that go there. is the movies. That's the Terminator movies yeah. right there. Yeah. And and so they're actually passing laws and guidelines, these international treaties that say you can have a drone, but there has to be a human on the other end of the drone. You don't want that choice made by some algorithm that Mark Zuckerberg designed when he was in college. That's right. You know? That's right. So it is real. I don't know if it's scary, but we're absolutely heading in that direction. Ah! Scary. You just scared me. Okay, I know I'm afraid. Oh, man, Jay, you're great. Take a, well, Let's take a break. Uh, we're going to come back with uh, radio talk show host Jay McFarland, our uh, tech guru. We just, you know, when you find a smart guy, you just got to get him and then just pick him. Pick his brain clean. That's what we're going to do. We'll take a break. Come back. Jay went to CES uh, where, you know, they where they basically show all the latest, greatest tech gadgets, everything tech. Jay spent uh, a lot of time there. And I want to come back and find out, you know, what's coming out. What's what's the fun stuff? What's the interesting, exciting stuff we need to be looking for? This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, we are talking about technology with our tech guru. Jay McFarland is joining us. Jay's the host of The Browsers, which is a, a, a Rocky Mountain, you know, Intermountain West radio show. Um, Jay also had a, a booming uh, radio show in Dallas, Texas, a uh, very popular talk show host. And uh, a blo- uh, not a blogger, but uh, an app designer. More than 100 apps that this man designs when he should be sleeping. Jay McFarland, welcome back. Thank you, sir. You do blog too, don't you? No, not that. You know, I, I do the obligatory Facebooking and things like that. But yeah. I don't spend a lot of time 
writing things down. Well, you, yeah, you talk so much. Right. right. And the last thing I want to do after talking is go and write things. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just need to just, you know, cool I, out, I, chill I, out. My wife knows after the show, I need about an hour and a half to just decompress. Yeah. And then I get back into life. You know how that goes. Oh, yeah. We call it Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I call it napping on the, on the train on the way. Home. Oh, is that? Yeah, that that's right. You do the train. That way, you yeah. can you know decompress. Then when by the time you get home, you just want to be with your family. Yeah, I have to tell you, it is such a difference maker. My wife can tell if I drove that day or if I was on the front runner just by the look on my face when I walk in the door. Yeah, if my you know if my hair's on end and I look like I just went through a war zone. I was in traffic. See, another testimony of mass transit. Absolutely. I mean, it really is. And then it goes so well with the fact that you, you can either sleep or play on your technology. And you, you went to CES, uh, yes. and um, which is the biggest, probably, honestly, isn't it the biggest show on earth? It is the, it is the, the biggest consumer electronics show on earth and one of the biggest trade it, shows on the planet. I mean, it it's crazy. Yeah. Las Vegas... Yeah. Tons of buildings. It's amazing. Yeah, in fact, we, we wore pedometers this time, and we averaged 8 to 10 miles of walking a day to, <laughs> from one booth to the other. To That's the other. crazy. I mean, it is absolutely insane. And we probably only saw 30% of the show. Oh, after that my heavens. Yeah, yeah, it is that insane. What, what stood out? What, what are, what's the fun stuff we should be looking for? And what are the things that are a little, like, crazy? Well, every year there's kind of a, a theme. We watched 3D printing take over the last couple of years. It went from one booth two years ago to an entire separate building or section of its own. This year, uh, two things, autonomous driving, driver, driverless cars, oh boy, and drones. Those were the two big things that dominated the market. And, and we actually had a chance, Matt, to drive in or sit in a driverless car on the on the surface streets in Las Vegas, Nevada. Really? And oh yeah, and it was a it was a harrowing experience because the technology not so sound yet. Not not there the yet. <laughs> <laughs> that is scary. But is it getting close? The car actually moved. Oh yeah. So you know they had a guy in the driver's seat who was there just in case, and their demonstration was designed for highways. But because of some complications, we were forced to use the technology on surface streets. And this thing is relying on the stripes on the road. It's relying on mm. other cars and sensors. And in, in this part of Las Vegas, the, the road the road lanes were not that clear. So it would veer on occasion. <laughs> and and at one point, we're coming up to a stoplight, and there's a car in front of us. And uh -oh. we're going, it, it's going to stop, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, it'll stop. And then it's not slowing down at all. Not stopping, like, not stopping, gonna, not stopping. Yeah, it's going to stop, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to stop. And then he slams on the brake. Oh, man. And we're about two inches away from the bumper in front of us. Yeah, uh, so not there yet. So it's got a ways to go. And some of the biggest concerns are weather. Uh, they're having some issues with that. Construction zones. Oh, true, uh, huh? But I think the biggest obstacle is our uh, legal issues. For example, if you have a self-driving car, can you tell it to speed? Oh, great point. Right? In fact, I, I suggested different modes. Like I want the road rage yeah. mode. renegade right. mode. Yeah, I want the, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, the senior citizen mode. <laughs> I want the 
I want the I'm driving in the left lane at the speed That's limit right. because I can mode. Obnoxiously slow you. mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of legal questions about what that self-driving car should be allowed to do. And the different states are grappling with that. Nevada is one of the first to allow this to, these to actually be tested on the roads. Uh, and some of the other states are coming along. Uh, but we, we shared a study the other day on our show that projections are when autonomous vehicles show up in mass, yeah. it could cut the number of vehicles on the road in half. Oh, because wow. We, we, could, we could actually not need a car. You could actually just have a car come to your house. Yeah. You could put your kids in it and send it to work, to the school, or you could send it to the oh. grocery store and they would load it for you. That would be great. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's some amazing technology, but at what point will you and I trust it enough to take our eyes off the wheel? Well, yeah, that and then will be the question. Who do you sue? Yeah, exactly. Right, when I mean, something happens, or who does the speeding ticket go to? Exactly. Right when when there are issues like that, you know, we already rely a lot on these technologies. I know, for example, when cruise control came out, that was a huge controversy. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are like, what? You're going to take your feet off the pedal? And now that's just a no-brainer. So I, I think if we gradually move into that technology, we'll be okay. It'll be one thing if, you know, over 10 years, we slowly add more and more pieces of that puzzle mm-hmm. as opposed to just tomorrow. Yeah, get in, close your eyes. And, Hop uh, in. Have a, have, have a great ride. We, we got into Mercedes where they didn't even have a front driver's seat. It was four seats facing to the center oh. with a table in the middle. And, <laughs> Cocktails. And, yeah, and the windows were all LED displays on the inside, so you could have any scenery you wanted going to work, or you could have 15 oh, different that's crazy. displays inside of this thing, and it'll just tell you, hey, by the way, you've arrived. That's madness. It's awesome. Yeah. It's madness. That sounds like mass transit without the mass. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Hmm. So that's interesting. Tech in cars, you know, that's that's one thing to worry about. Yeah. And drones. And the drones. Talk about the drones. I mean, drones landing on the White House lawn. Yes. It's This is getting crazy. Yeah, and we were wondering why is it all of a sudden? Because, you know, these remote-controlled vehicles are not new. No. What What is new is the ease of use. You know, before, if you wanted to have, you know, some high-tech remote-controlled piece of equipment, it would cost you five to ten grand, and to just learn how to fly it was like getting a pilot's license. Yeah, right. Not easy. They have drones now that you can buy where it lifts off by itself and it lands by itself. Oh, wow. They have one, we tested one, where it's just controlled with your iPhone, and part of the problem with these things, the old helicopter-style remote-controlled uh, you know, helicopters, was just lifting off would take weeks and weeks to learn. You press a button, it'll levitate in the air, and it'll follow you around. You're not <laughs> controlling it at all. Yeah. And those things are cheap. And then you just so hook now, a little GoPro camera to it. Yes. And now you're really violating people's rights. <laughs> That's right, because now you've got the privacy issues. Yeah. There's a there's a company out uh, that announced this week that they're trying to establish the ability for you to go on and say the airspace above your home is a no-fly zone for drones. Ah, yeah, so no one can sneak a drone in your yard? Yeah, or just, just for privacy concerns. 
uh, we don't know if they, what they want is for the drone companies to voluntarily geofence these drones. So they just when you tell them to fly in these into these places, they won't be able to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they think they can get them to do it voluntarily. I think there's a lot of questions there. Like if I'm if I'm the guy, you know, across the park, and I just don't want drones over there, can I just register it and say that's a no drone zone? Yeah, stay away you from know, my park. I'm, yeah, if I'm the grumpy old neighbor, get off my lawn. You know, that guy. Yeah, yeah. The, so. the thing about the drone is, um, I, I mean, I guess anybody can grab one. We, we throw it up there. But then did you hear about the airliner that was landing or coming in for landing, I guess? And a drone, it, it basically flew right, the airplane flew right under a drone. Yeah. A cheap, yeah. tiny drone. And well, that's the problem. could bring down an airline. Yeah, the idiots are going to ruin it for the rest of us, and there are also those who might want to use a drone for very evil purposes, right? I right. mean, these things can carry a certain amount of payload, and and they can be flown very, very easily, and they're hard to track. So there are some legitimate concerns there. A lot of the drone manufacturers have already geofenced airports so That's that you, yeah. can't, you can't fly in them. They forgot to do the White House, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> That's the old failure we'll, of imagination. Right? We'll get to it. Yeah, what's what's it, the worst thing that could happen? The intoxicated uh, government employee flying his drone in D.C. <laughs> in the middle of the night. Oh, man. Control of it, and it hits a tree on the White House grounds. And then now, now what the president wants greater drone regulation. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> you know what? All you have to do is tick the president off. Yeah, that's right. I, w- I would tell you, we saw one of the coolest drones we saw there. Uh, there's this bracelet, and you put it on, and this drone will levitate at at the height that you want it to, and it will keep you perfectly in the camera frame, and it will follow you for about 30 minutes. Oh. So, if you're a, so if you're a snowboarder, if yeah. you're a surfer. Or if you're just if you're a narcissist. A, oh, yeah. If you just yeah. love pictures. Hey, if you like selfies from every yeah. angle. And this thing, it only costs fifteen hundred dollars. The image, the image is is high quality. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's a it's a couple of developers out of Latvia, of all places. <laughs> of all places. Yeah, and the technology is amazing. And so you think about all of these people doing these extreme sports; they always have to have somebody with them to film yeah, what they're no doing. Yeah. No more. No, this thing will just stay with you, and it will. It will land right where it took off, so you don't have to worry about that. Or That's you great. can call it to you like a falcon out of the sky. Like a dog. And it will just land right on your hand. That is great. It's amazing. You know what, Jay? I have a feeling all this technology, we're not going to need people anymore. No, and that will allow me once again to be making apps in the middle of the night. Excellent. Uh, you know, in a dark room. That's what it's all about. Is, that's all I'm going for. Jay, you're the best. Thanks for being with us. Hey, appreciate it. And uh, everybody, go check out Jay's website, jmcfarland.com. Listen to him on the browsers at kslnewsradio.com. Uh, he's the best. And go check his, his apps. Really, my kids love his apps. Not his abs. Apps and abs, they're different. We're going to take a break. Uh, we've got a really interesting little dis- discussion coming up with Bryce Danes. He's a geneticist. I don't know if you heard the news, but... Uh, In Britain, they may be close to legalizing, uh, you know, I guess creating babies with three parents. Huh? Can you do that? We're going to talk to a geneticist and find out. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little uh, weird science for you here. What if I told you that uh, you've all heard the arguments about designer babies, right? Well, uh, it seems like the British House of Commons is on the verge. uh, Actually, they did. They passed the bill legalizing mitochondrial DNA transfers, which in layman's terms basically means we're going to create a child, a baby, from three the DNA of three different parents, right? And, and interestingly, listen to this. The bill cleared the House of Commons by a vote of 382 to 128. It still needs approval from the House of Lords before it can be enacted. But a lot of people are worried, and a lot of people um, actually are concerned and maybe don't even know why. Just the idea of three parents, one baby, seems confusing. So we decided to bring in a geneticist, which, by the way, they're not easy to find unless one of your producers is related to one. Then you get them in very quickly. Bryce Danes is our guest today. And the fun thing about Bryce, by the way, PhD, and let's just be real, he's he's super smart. But uh, Dr. Danes is the director of bio of bioinformatics at Toot Genomics. He obtained a BS in bioinformatics from BYU and a PhD from Baylor, um, and he has where he trained at the Human Genome Sequencing Center, and he's here to try to help us understand a little bit why, a little bit more about why we would need three parents for one baby. I mean, isn't it hard enough to have two parents for a baby, <laughs> That's exactly Bryce? Right? Yeah. No, thanks uh, for that, Matt. It's nice to be here in the, on the show with you. Great um, to have you. <clears throat> So it actually, I should point out, it's not a first in terms of both the technology and uh, this three-parent baby thing. Actually, in the United States in 1997 and 2000, there were babies born um, using not these procedures that are talked about in the U.K. law, yeah. uh, but related procedures involving mitochondrial transfer. Why do we need it? I mean, it seems th- this uh, they call it the designer baby, which I guess is like the scary term that eventually we're going to be choosing our babies. I want oh, I'll have a redhead. With hazel eyes. Right. And um, that probably scares everybody, but that's not what they're talking about here. Yeah, and, and that's what sort of opponents of the, the bill, right, and these technologies are, are kind of pointing towards a slippery slope towards designer babies. But if you look at what we're talking about in terms of three-parent in vitro fertilization, yeah. um, it's really a therapeutic option for a mother who has a mitochondrial disease. Um, well, what are some of those? Let me give an example. Yeah. Um, there are types of diabetes, diabetes mellitus, uh, muscular dystrophies, some cardiac and vision-related diseases mm-hmm. that are specifically due to alterations in the mitochondria. So a little genetic lesson yeah, yeah, if I yeah. can. Yeah. Um, obviously, most of us are the product of fertilization of an egg and a sperm. Right. We have two parents. Yeah. Um, in the case of three-parent IVF, what is being provided by that third parent is the donation of a healthy egg mm-hmm. and healthy mitochondria. And the mitochondria, is that what is that? The energy? What is that? That's right. These are the energy-producing parts of the cell. They're outside of the nucleus, and they account for only a tiny fraction of the DNA in any individual. So it's a tiny percent of mm-hmm. the DNA. Maybe but, a tenth of a percent. So a tenth of a per- a tenth of one percent. Yes, a tenth of one percent. And yet, if it's off, if it's not functioning right, it could end up eventually leading to muscular dystrophy or other types of diabetes and other things. That's right. You could have one tiny variation in one of those 37 genes that leads to a terrible disease. Interesting. And so you've got a mother who is you know, going through um, 
fertilization, uh, infertility treatments, yeah, yeah. specifically because she has a mitochondrial related disease. And, you know, from the mother's point of view, she would like to have an offspring that is genetically hers, that mm-hmm. she can make a connection with. The baby that she would otherwise have if not for her infertility. And what these, um, without really cursing two- it with some. Exactly, without passing yeah. on this very, you know, debilitating yeah, disease. That's hard. And um, what. What you have to point out is most of uh, of those traits are, are going to come from the mother. You know, it's going to have yeah. her eyes, it's going to have yeah. her hair, and so she's going to be able to have that connection. So the other 99 and 9 tenths right. are going to come from the mom and dad. From the mom and dad. And yet, okay, so so really the law that they're passing is very specific in uh, the House of Commons in Britain. It's just for my- mitochondrial DNA transfers. Right. It's for, it's for two techniques, right? One is the spindle transfer technique, and the other is the pronuclear tech, um, transfer technique. And, and, and they're similar in that they use this donor egg. They combine the genetics of the mom and the dad with just the mitochondrial DNA of the donor. Hmm. Uh, where they differ and where it becomes a little bit more complicated and controversial is the second of these techniques actually involves the fertilization of two eggs. The mother's egg is fertilized. The donor egg is fertilized. Okay. The nucleus of the donor egg is thrown in the trash, right? It's removed yeah. from the egg. But you're using the... Yep, and you use the nucleus from the mother's egg. I see. So there is, and, and again, opponents of the bill from yeah. an ethical point of view, yeah. in particular the, the Church of England, uh, the Roman Catholic Church in England spoke yeah. out and said, look, we're, we're throwing embryos in the trash. Yeah, don't um, be tossing embryos. It, exactly. So that's the concern, I guess. But it, I guess it is an embryo. It is. Because it's already, it's all been merged. Mm-hmm. In, especially in that second yeah. example. That's interesting. So, so the, the, and you're not an ethicist, and but... Genetically, the reason I guess the the uh, British government's behind it is because it's going to make people healthier. Well, yeah, the reason R- is right? I mean, it's it's for pre- the first time you can you can say to these women, yes, you can have a, a baby that is yours, right? Yeah. And again, you know, opponents of the bill are saying, is that really necessary? Does it impact enough people mm-hmm. to merit the the cost of research? Yeah. The you know the additional risk involved and, and does it, the ethical issue? Does it? Do you feel like has it gone through enough medical trials? Is it is it tested enough? Is it secure? Do we know really what's going to happen thirty years from now with this type of transfer this type of procedure? We really don't. I mean, the in terms of the technology and the ability to do it in cell lines and mm-hmm. in animal models, it's been proven and shown. Right? Okay, yeah. And so there aren't any you know glaring red flags or concerns right. from that point of view. But what the bill is about is enabling or, or making it legal to take the next step in research, yeah. to take these embryos that have been uh, demonstrated and implant them into a, a, a woman for, you know, to, to actually produce a three-parent baby. You know, there was a story, I don't know if you saw it, in um, the newspaper here in Salt Lake City about a family that, and I don't remember what their disorder was, but it was a cancer gene, basically, and it got handed down, and one parent had it, and out of her, I think, six or seven children, four of the children died of it. And then about another, in the end, 22 of the ancestors of these two parents died of cancer. Mm. So it's a cancer gene that's just going and destroying a family line. Can you see the day that this a similar procedure could be done for that? Well, I, I don't, and maybe that's important to, to point out. There is a, a significant gap between the therapy that we're talking about yeah. in terms of mitochondrial replacement and the stretch to um, you know gene replacement gene therapy. Replacement. Or designer babies, and that's yeah. an important thing to point that's out good. here. Is is while there may be le- legitimate concerns from a certain point of view about this technology, this is not 
making designer it's babies. It's not there. Do you sense that it opens the door? I mean, just as a geneticist, do you see the day that that will go there? The, the day that we're choosing the color, eye color of our babies? I certainly hope we're not um, you know, reprodu- uh, making reproductive decisions about yeah. trivial things like that. Do we have abilities like that yet? Today? Mm-hmm. Um, not in, in humans, no. That's great. See? That's why we need a geneticist in the room. Because I couldn't, I could. I asked James that yesterday. And he's like, I don't know. Well, not a lot of help. Um, what when you think of this? Um, I mean, it's weird because you know it's kind of like where does life begin? And that's why a lot of the religious groups are so against it. Don't sure. be messing with the embryos. Sure. Don't be tossing them. But um, h- how do you balance it? You're you're a you're a faithful guy, and you're in genetics. Tell me that what what motivates you? Somebody who believes in a god and believes in this, what motivates you as a geneticist? Because sure. there's, there's got to be something really powerful about having a belief in God and having an insight into how life's created. Right. Well, I, I'm not an ethicist. I don't want to wade, right. yeah, yeah, wade yeah. too much into this. But I guess uh, from, from my point of view on a personal note, uh, and I think it's very much in line with some of the great geneticists of the past. Yeah. And that is you know, to understand, not to play God, yeah. but to understand um, life. Yeah. In its truest form, I think, gives you a, an appreciation of that creator. Yeah. Um, and, and genetics, to me, is just fascinating. Um, not so much from an engineering point of view and, and making these designer babies, right, but from no. just the understanding and the, and the knowledge of, of how the processes of the, uh, of the body work, how you know, we go from a single cell to, um, to a fully grown organism is, is, is amazing. Well, and also, I guess, too, how it, how it can change lives. I mm-hmm. mean, how it can be done healthy, how, it, how we can help people that don't have healthy mitochondria. Sure. Uh, certainly in terms of therapies and just in, in terms of knowledge mm-hmm. of, um, you know, today what we see emerging in terms of technology is the ability to sequence and see um, the, the variations that individuals have because you and I differ by, you know, four or four and a half million differences. Right? Really? And, and those differences can inform our decisions in therapeutic sense, yeah. like mitochondrial disease, uh, but also in a clinical sense in terms of you know, what drugs we should be prescribed, uh, what medicines we should and should not be taking, you know, what therapeutic options we have if, you know, heaven forbid, someday we do develop cancer. Which is why we need to keep exploring it and Absolutely. working it. We appreciate you being here. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a touchy issue, and yet most of us are just woefully ill-prepared, uninformed to understand it, but it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Again, we so appreciate you. Bryce Danes is a name. By the way, uh, Toot Genomics, pretty interesting little name there, Toot, T-U-T-E, Genomics, genes, Chase, changing our lives, right? We didn't even know about it. Come on. We're so in our lives, we're not paying attention. We're going to take a break. Come back for another hour here on the Matt Townsend Show. So appreciate you listening. We'll be right back here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of Townsend Fest, Townsendtopia, where we like to get into the headlines. Little Townsend Palooza. Townsend Palooza. We like to give you uh, the news, the headlines, and also um, hopefully help you find 
what you need to know personally to okay. make sure you're living healthy, happy lives. Do we call it Matt Fest? No. It's oh. a, it's, it, it sounds like Fat Fest. Hey, that's cool about that uh, <laughs> geneticist. Our last hour we had... Oh, I know. that was. <laughs> we had a geneticist on board and... You're Man. just happy you can say the word geneticist. Well, I mean, I have to keep saying it because I feel smarter every time I say it. He is a smart dude. Yes, very much so. His his sister even says so. Uh-huh. It's like, I hope he can do this. He's so smart. <laughs> like, Well, smart people can talk. He did a good job, He though. did a great job. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about genetics. Did you hear the latest news with Johnson & Johnson? Ooh, baby powder? What? No. It's one of the great, you know... Drug companies, What's a, it's pharmaceutical a, companies. Johnson & Johnson, a family company. A family company. Well, they've made all their money historically on creating drugs that we would take to help us get healthier, right? So I it's always they kind did of cleaning been, products and stuff, They do too. that, too. It's a big company. Okay. It's a big company. Well, the AP is reporting that they have – Johnson & Johnson is, is refocusing a little bit. They now want – and they've started and are investing a lot of money – in projects to basically help to determine what genetic links a person might have and then how they can more uh, quickly heal and fix those issues. For example, let's say you have Alzheimer's disease okay, and it runs in your family yes. or genetically you're, you're predisposed to it. Mm-hmm. Johnson & Johnson wants to start figuring out ways to... Find out if you've got the gene, invest in early uh, prevention. I thought somebody was already studying that. Maybe, maybe they work for Johnson & Johnson. There's a lot know. of people studying it. But Johnson & Johnson made $16 billion last year, profit last year. And now what they're doing is they're start, they're, their goal They want to figure out how to spend it now? Is what? preventing the illness. Okay. Because in the future, there might be more money in preventing it than trying to then take care of it. So we've right. always been fairly reactive to our, our health. And by the way, mental health as well. Um, so basically, 100 years from now, someone going is going to look back and say, can you believe they waited until you got the disease to do something? Johnson & Johnson is now going to be working on solutions. So it's kind of a different model for medicine, actually. Mm-hmm. So they'll see if you have genetic predispositions, mm-hmm. and then they're going to work on solutions to make sure that those... Don't go anywhere. But isn't that what our geneticist was saying that this process of using three people to create a child is about? Yeah. Is to get rid of those predispositions so and the, things like that? Yeah. On the front end, they're looking at the gen- – they're, they're basically doing the exact same thing without mm-hmm. maybe the mitochondrial DNA right. third parent thing. Anyway, powerful. Uh, it's kind of nice to know that we're starting to prevent instead of just react to but our But since illnesses. that's in the in the research stages still it's we got a long time. We've actually our medicine right now is more of I mean we have some preventative oh, yeah. measures that we can do. People have been taking vitamins. Exactly. But well you have dental checkups yeah. things like that. But how cool to actually have genetics tell you what you're predisposed to have. But what's really cool is if you could lay on the table and have somebody just you know wipe something across for you kind of like this. And then it, it tells you exactly what's wrong with everything in your body. Wow. And if you ever saw Star Trek, you know exactly what that sound is. Is that doctor? What's the doctor's name? That's Bones. Dr. Bones? Bones McCoy. So what, what's that? What's the name of that instrument? It's called a tricorder. Uh, that's, the, that's the Star Trek name. Yes. Now, Mr. Spock also used a tricorder when he was down on the planet to analyze all sorts of things. So a tricorder analyzed more than just human well, bodies. Multi-purpose tricorder. Right. But... 
there is a man who has actually come out with something that they're calling a tricorder now. Really? Actually, it's oh, it works like that. It's called a Scandu Scout. <laughs> it's, it's named after you, you've heard of Xanadu. Yeah. The you know the thing that Kublai Khan supposedly built yeah. in the poem. Yeah. yeah. Great, but it's it's an ancient city. Great splendor, scientific progress. Lots of good stuff happening in Xanadu. So that's why they're naming it after that. Uh, Plus, but, it sounds like a can-do. It, it's a can-do effort. I agree. Um, and now I've lost the gentleman's name here. You'll find it. Oh, it's Walter de Brouwer, a, a Belgian entrepreneur. He had to learn how hospitals work because his son had a had a fall. And so he he now knows how hospitals actually work in the modern day. And he was inspired by Star Trek really? to actually develop this. Yeah. He says it was more than just a movie. It was a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> so he saw this thing that's a handheld device by you know that works. A doctor just wipes it yeah. over and it, says, it gives you an analysis. But what you do is you put this thing on your forehead and it measures out all all sorts of stuff on your head uh, from just from your head so this little scanner just it can determine what illnesses you have uh, no not yet okay. it doesn't tell you what okay. you got what it does is it measures your heart rate yeah. your temperature yeah. your blood pressure mm-hmm. oxygen level and it provides a complete ecg reading wow it sounds like the apple watch uh, a little bit well it works with your phone though i bet it does that's where you get the readout is on your phone Oh, it's happening. It is. See, now you know what's so great about a device like this or the Apple Watch. Or, or Now when you're eating your um, your double bacon cheeseburger, mm-hmm. you can actually watch your heart, heart rate go down. Harden. <laughs> your blood pressure go up and all that <laughs> stuff. It, it's pending FDA approval, so That's it's cool. not available yet. It's way cool. But, you know, hey, if if I can have a device that helps me do that. I mean, I can see doctors going. Okay, do you have one? You have a tricorder. Okay, touch it to your forehead. Tell me what it says. Yeah, on the phone. Isn't that cool? You can yeah. do that on the phone, and, and they can yeah. tell you whether or not you probably need to go to the hospital. Yeah, Mr. Townsend, you need to plug in your tricorder. Exactly. Uh, can you also put some leads on your chest? We're about to defibrillate. <laughs> can you have everyone leave and yes. clear away? Mm-hmm. Clear. Clear. <laughs> you know that's uh, it's going to be that day. There's already. I I went to school as an EMT. Yeah. To, to be a part of a process of defibrillating someone. So you, you know how to use a defibrillator. I know. And now here's the funny thing. Is it difficult? Yeah. It's dangerous. It's seriously oh, yeah. dangerous. It's electricity. Come on. Well, and it's it's gnarly. Yeah. Like Because when, when, when you're doing it, they're dead. And Do, um, Okay. Now, now, I have to ask this yeah. because I've always wanted to know. You, you've actually had to use one? Dozens of times. Okay. Does it look like it does on film when yes. the body jumps? Uh-huh. Okay. And I wanted to know that. When they say clear, they like, mean clear. For real, you need to clear. Cuz it's and it's ugly. Cuz sometimes there's smells. Oh, I see. Oh. Yeah. Because you're shooting electricity through you're, people. You're you're you've got some Well, and that's burning. usually like when you've done it a lot. Okay. And it's 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 intense. It's intense. But I mean, what's cool is science is starting to catch up and um exactly. and, and set us up. And interestingly, back to the tech, it's starting to kind of put it all in the palm of our hand. Did you hear about this Hitachi uh product? Hitachi that makes like these super trains, these really fast super trains. Um Hitachi High Technologies, it's called. Um they ha- are creating a happiness measuring device that you will wear and it's about the size of a credit card. So it's almost like your little card that you use to get into a secure building or whatever. And everybody in the company would get one. 
and it measures how happy you are as an employee. Hmm. It measures how much head nodding there is. It measures how much laughter, how many. <laughs> no, which is funny because there's a lot of head nodding in this room when we turn on some music. It, not, it, it notices how, if you're sitting or standing, typing or nodding. It notices like when you're in certain activities like meetings. It notices the type of tone you have. This is like a modern-day mood ring. It's a, it's a modern-day mood ring. But here's the thing. What? It doesn't measure just for personal. So it can't personally tell you how happy you are, mm-hmm. but it can tell companies how happy their people are. Oh, yeah. Isn't that weird? That is. So 70%, I think you've heard me talk about this on the show before, 70% of the people at work today, they're, they're not engaged. Mm-hmm. So you just nodded your head, so you're engaged. See, so, yeah, okay, now he's <laughs> nodding his head a lot. But this will start to teach business leaders how engaged their people are, and then they can actually start to adapt policies, procedures. HR can start to get in and uh, you know, start creating some happiness. Anyway, isn't that cool? There's you know, a lot of cool things happening with technology all across the board. That's right. So cool. And, and the funny thing is that's the same company that makes trains. Johnson & Johnson is the same company that makes a bunch of other products, right? Mm-hmm. And yet – Slow and steady, folks. Uh, it seems like we're going to have a very interesting ride over the next, I don't know, millennia. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Michael Bishop is going to be joining us. Michael uh, is a Ph.D. and um, is going to teach us about the good life. He wrote a book called The Good Life, Unifying the Philosophy and Psychology of Well-Being. What if we could just take everything we're learning about well-being and put it together? Well, Michael's going to be walking us through that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. James Birdzall, spinning the vinyl. <laughs> it's amazing how music can just give you a lift as well. You can't always get what you want. Rolling Stones. Anyway, the good life. Mm, we're all chasing it, aren't we? So what if we could uh, gather a little more insight into that? Is it your psychology that matters? Is it your philosophy that matters? What brings you into that state of well-being? You know, psychology defines well-being as the state of happiness and effectively operating in social and personal life. Philosophy defines well-being as whether or not a person is living a life that is good for them. But a professor in Florida recently wrote a book that combines the ideas of psychology and philosophy and creates a new theory of well-being. His name is Dr. Michael Bishop, professor of philosophy from Florida State University. And he now joins us via telephone to talk about this new book, The Good Life, Unifying the Philosophy and Psychology of Well-Being. Professor Bishop, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much, Matt. It's very nice to be here. It's so great to have you. And now, I mean, you're a philosopher. I mean, that's what you've been studying forever. How did you How did you decide this was the topic? We're going to get into well-being. Well, I think it's something that everybody is interested in. Um, if you you know take somebody that you love, uh, you want what's best for them, and uh, you want them to have a flourishing life, a life full of well-being. But 
uh, it's sometimes difficult to know what that is. So I especially got interested in this, I guess, when I when I had kids because I wanted them to have a good flourishing life. But I wasn't clear about what exactly that was. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, what, so, I mean, I have the same thing because is, is it success we need? Is it money? Because it seems like that's what we're always pushing for. Is it power, position? Or is it just thinking you've got it good? I mean, I see a lot of ski, you know, I don't, I don't, I was going to call them ski bums, but a lot of people that just love skiing. And if they can go get a free pass to ski and work at a restaurant at night, their life is good. Well, that's, uh, that's a great way to introduce the problem. Um, uh, so philosophers talk about all the, all of those things. Um, uh, some think that uh, getting a, get, that the good life is being happy. Uh, some think that it's getting what you want. Uh, other people think that it's different things. Uh, so, but the problem with philosophy is that uh, these philosophers have all these interesting insights, uh, often wise insights, but uh, they can't test them. So there's lots of disagreement, and philosophers, they have all these theories, but they don't have any facts. Interesting, yeah, because it's harder to test because it, it's not so quantifiable. Exactly. So uh, take take one standard philosophical problem that you that you might um, have talked about in a philosophy class, right? Take take you and your twin, uh, but your twin, rather than uh, who feels exactly the same way you do, he has the same pleasures, has the same happiness, has the same unhappiness, um, but your twin lives in matrix world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does your twin have an equally good life as you do? Well, it turns out philosophers disagree about this, and it's just not clear how you test that. Yeah, yeah. How do, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. So how do you test? So that for me, that was a problem when I when I looked at the philosophy. I didn't know how to go about deciding between these different opinions that philosophers had. When you look over at the psychology, um, and so that's what, when, what what prompted me to go look at the psychology, especially over the last twenty years. Psychologists have been finding out lots of new things. Yeah, like more qualitative. Uh, type of studies or measures or approaches? Exactly, absolutely. Um, And they often come at well-being from lots of different directions. Some of them come at it from uh, from happiness. Some of them come at it from from what they view as virtues. Um, And so what I was in, so I went and looked at the psychology. And what's really interesting about the psychology is that they have lots of interesting facts, lots of interesting facts, but they don't have any theories. That is, they don't have any good theories. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a framework that helps make sense and put all these facts into uh, an organized whole. So when I looked at the philosophy and at the psychology, what I saw was the philosophers have lots of theories but no facts, uh-huh. and the psychologists have lots of facts but no theories. There you go. So we and needed so, a convergence. Exactly. This was my idea. So what we need to do is bring philosophy and psychology together, and what we really needed was a theory that makes sense of the philosopher's insights and the psychologist's facts. Mm. So did you, did you propose a theory? Did you, uh, how, how, and what is the theory? Is that, I guess that's the book. Yes, that is exactly the book. So that's, that's my idea. Uh, so what I tried to do first was, um, was uh, explain this new approach that I had that, uh, didn't ju- that asked philosophers not just to look at their own often very wise insights, but also asked them to look at psychology and try and come up with a theory that, does, uh, the, that makes sense of both. So the theory that I came up with, I call it the network theory, and the basic idea behind it is that the good life 
is a life in which you're stuck in a positive groove. Okay. So let me explain that like a little flow. bit. Like so, flow. Well, it's sort of like flow, okay. but it's broader yeah, than Yeah, keep flow. going. So if you look at what psychologists study, what they, what they look at is positive feelings like happiness and pleasure and then positive attitudes like optimism and hope. They also look at positive traits like friendliness and curiosity. And they also look at accomplishments where you think of this sort of quite broadly, uh, you know, strong friendships, strong relationships, academic success, professional success, good health. And what psychologists tend to do is they look at studies uh, or they try and study the relationships between these things, the correlations and the causal connections yeah, right. between these things. So my idea is that um, these states, these positive feelings and attitudes, traits and accomplishments can build on each other, forming networks or webs of positivity. Huh. Uh, so one way to think about this is that um, you can find yourself enmeshed in a kind of success breed success cycle, but not just any old success breed success cycle. So, you know, Scrooge um, uh, mechanically and sullenly getting richer is not, does not have well-being, even though he might be yeah. in some kind of su su success breed success cycle. A success breed success cycle that is, is powered by things that you find valuable and pleasant uh, that's what the good life is. That's what well-being is. So it's really about taking, it's about, you think about it as a network, and it's about creating, uh, you use words like your state, your trait, your, what were some others, parts so of the network? So your, your positive feelings. Feelings. Like happiness and yeah. pleasure. So, so, so the, the ideas that you started with, I think, are exactly right, but they're only part of the story. Right. So you have, you have happiness. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the person who's made happy by going out and skiing, uh, happiness is part of it. So the philosophers that identified happiness as important to well-being, I think they were right, but they just didn't have the whole story. Then you also have attitudes like optimism and hope, and these are important parts of the network. And you have traits. Uh, some, so Aristotle thought that virtues were important, and some psychologists study uh, well-being via the virtues. Uh -huh. uh, so friendliness, curiosity, courage. Um, so that's important to, to the network. Um, and accomplishments. So okay. friendships, relationships, success, success of various kinds, professional success, health. And so what you find is that so let me give you some examples from the psychological literature okay. of these kinds of positive networks or these positive grooves that I sometimes call them. So yeah. People who are happy tend to be more creative uh, and they tend to be more engaged and interested in the world and, and, and do more things in the world. And uh, this creativity and engagement, if they get a little bit of success, can lead them to be happier. So you get this sort of positive feedback loop. Another positive feedback loop that you find in the psychological literature is people who tend to be more optimistic will tend to power through uh, problems and short-term failures and achieve more success. And, of course, success makes you more optimistic. So you have this sort of optimism success feedback loop. Uh, here's an interesting one. Um, people who are happier also tend to volunteer more. Uh, do good things for others. And doing good things for others makes us feel good, makes us happy. And so, mm. again, we get this sort of positive feedback loop, which can be part of this broader network that I think is uh, what the good life is. Uh, another one is uh, people who are more curious 
tend to learn more things. That's not surprising. Yeah. But uh, when you learn more things about something, you also tend to become more curious about it. Yeah. And so you Another can loop. get in these loops, these positive loops. Uh, and, and the important thing about these positive loops is that they, they tend to be self-maintaining. They have a kind of inertia. And so once you find yourself in these, these positive grooves, you tend to stay in them. They're like habits. That's right. So, they can be, parts of them can definitely be habits. So you, you could have a habit of continually building that network Absolutely. of happiness. Yes. I mean, it's in a way, it's so, I, I love the theory. It's called network theory. The network theory, yeah, that's right. Because, oh man, people have been after this forever and they think if, oh, if I just get that car, right? woo, or if that's I get right. that raise, woo, and yet that's not the network. That's kind of just a byproduct of the network. That, that's, that's a great point. So one of, the, one of the implications of this theory, I think, is that there are, that it can, there are mistakes in thinking about the good life. You can make a mistake, and this mistake can really have, these mistakes can have serious implications. So if you think of the good life as achieving some goal, so on the network theory, it's more of a process. Um, you, you get stuck or enmeshed in these positive cycles or grooves, and that's what the good life is. And, of course, when you're enmeshed in these positive grooves, you know, you get success almost as a byproduct. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you, you think about the success itself, if you think about making your first million and that's the good life, if I could just do that, if I could just um, get that plum job or make yeah. a little bit more money or get that neat car, then I'll have it made. Well, that's, um, you're setting yourself up for disappointment if that's the way you think about it, because either you don't get that, in which case you'll be disappointed, or you will get it and you'll adapt. So one of the yeah. really interesting uh, things that psychologists have discovered is that when good things happen to us, we tend to adapt to them. So they're great for a while, yep. but then, uh, then we get used to it. And so you can end up feeling quite empty if, 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 if you just had this single goal and you reach it, and then you say, wait a minute, is that all there is? Mm. You know, it's so amazing. I had that conversation with my son last night, and he goes, isn't it just amazing that humans adapt or he said become habituated to what they're going through so the pro nba player you know killed to get in the nba and then eventually he's kind of bored because he's made it so it's a big deal what we're learning here folks again we're going to come back with dr michael bishop continue learning about network the network theory and uh and its power and source at uh, at creating happiness in all of us good stuff we'll be right back you listen to the matt townsend show right here on byu radio Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Little, look at that, Farrell Williams, Grammys performer, and the Happy Man. This is one of the happiest songs of all time. I think it actually mentions the word happy more than almost any other song. But you know what's interesting? Uh, maybe there's more to happy than just one song, or just one job, or one accomplishment. Maybe you need to build a network, uh, a network, a bunch of different systems, structures, 
states, traits, virtues, feelings that tend to continue as a network, reinforcing opportunities that would drive and increase happiness. That's basically the premise, uh, you know, in a very simplified way, because I, you know, just the king of simplification, oversimplification, um, of our guest. Dr. Michael Bishop is a professor of philosophy at Florida State University. He's on the phone with us, and he's talking about his book, The Good Life, Unifying the Philosophy and Psychology of Well-Being. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Really, my son and I were talking about it after a game because he's watching these incredible basketball players working it, doing great. And then he loves the pros. So he watches them go to the. He watches as they go to the pros, and then he sees them kind of fade and burn out. And and then he talked about Michael Jordan leaving and going and playing baseball. I mean, and a part of that is that is that the network that they've built just starts to fade, or the, and they bring new things into the network. What's that about? I think I think that's that's a really interesting phenomenon there. Um, the way I think about it. We, and, and it's useful in thinking about this when, when you have kids. Uh, one of the things that you want to try to do is get your kids enmeshed in what I think of as an enjoyment mastery success cycle. Mm. So you get them to play basketball or, or soccer or play the guitar or the piano, uh, and hopefully they enjoy it. So one of the things you want is to try different things because sometimes they won't enjoy baseball, uh, but they will enjoy soccer. And so uh, they'll enjoy it. And as they get better at it, uh, they'll have some success and they'll enjoy that success, which will motivate them to, uh, to continue working on it. And um, so, so getting, getting your kids into these, you know, enjoyment mastery success cycles, I think is really important. Uh, it's very healthy for them. Um, and uh, I mean, when I think about my youth, uh, some of my best memories have to do with um, uh, the, those sorts of cycles, playing soccer and playing, playing the guitar in various mm-hmm. bands, uh, even though I was never really very good. But I still really enjoyed it, and I think back on that very fondly. Now, what can happen, though, is that uh, you, especially when you become a professional at something, is that your motivation for doing it is no longer that you enjoy it uh, and, you know, you're excited by it, but because you're making money. Yeah, right. And money uh, is not necessarily the best motivator. And um, so, so, again, you know, it, when, when you love playing basketball in the back, you know, in the, in, the, in the back or in the park with your friends, you can't imagine somebody being paid lots of money to do this and not really loving it because you right. love it. Yeah, right. But, but they're in a different place where, uh, for them, it's a job. They, they do it every day. It's physically taxing, I'm sure. And um, the motivation for doing it isn't that they love it anymore, but that they're being paid. Does, does I guess then, like, the money then becomes part of the network. But So can things become part of our network, even though we've got a fairly positive network going with great feedback loops and, and good things are happening, then can negative, more negative parts just start entering in and eventually offset the network? 
Absolutely. So one of the things you have to really be careful about is, um, is even though these networks have inertia, uh, they're not inevitable. Right. So there are certainly things that can happen uh, and that you can do that would undermine your positive, uh, your positive causal networks. Um, and psychologists are busy finding out what these sorts of things are. So one of the things that's, that I think is really interesting about the psychology is that on the, most of what they've done is studied the structure of these networks, you know, how happiness or optimism or curiosity hooks up with other things. But one of the things that psychologists have started doing is looking into what I think of as the dynamics of these networks. That mm-hmm. is, what, what sorts of activities can you do to... Uh, boost your networks? What sorts of things can you do to strengthen your networks to, to start some new ones? Um, and also what, and, and, you, and you can also think of, you know, um, uh, bad things happening in your life sometimes are part of negative uh, or vicious networks. Yeah. And one of the things you want to do is try and interrupt those, those negative networks and kickstart new positive networks or strengthen the positive networks that you have. How do you do that? I just spoke the other night at, with a group of parents that have lost a, a baby. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a beautiful night and a beautiful, very powerful network. How do you take a loss and and turn it into and strengthen your network around something like that? That's a great question and a very difficult question. Um, uh, it's... <sighs> One of the, 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 the research on this topic is complicated in various ways. So on the one hand, uh, a terrible loss uh, can, uh, can have negative implications, but, but we're, we're surprisingly resilient. Uh-huh. Uh, we're, we're, we're good at coming up with uh, ways of dealing with these losses. So... Uh, I, I don't know all of the ways in which somebody will necessarily deal with a loss, but one thing that seems to be important is having um, a life narrative. So having a way to understand the loss, to put it in perspective, often helps to overcome the terrible negative feelings mm. of it. Because um, uh, once we understand things, uh, once we can make sense of them, once we give meaning to them, uh, they they no longer um, they they're no longer there to 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 cause so much pain. It's it really is this this is a perfect mix. I think the philosophy and the psychology, and and what you're trying to do here mainly. I mean, it seems like religion fills a lot of this. It, it could create social networks, but it could create certain states, certain focus on traits, certain focus on virtues service type of opportunities, a narrative. I mean, in a way, it's, it's almost like that's how they came to be. That's a really good point. Uh, the, the study of, uh, of religion in uh, positive psychology uh, is, is very interesting. And one of the things, a few of the things that religion does that seems to be important is, again, provide social support um, and uh, provide a sense of meaning and provide people with a way of understanding their lives and where uh, the important events in their lives fit. Um, so... I think that's uh, that's really important. Um, one of the things that uh, I would say about this is that if you think about well-being in terms of these networks, you don't have to wait for it. No. So if you um, 
you know, if you think about well-being as, you know, I'm going to get it next week or I'm going to get it next year uh, because I'm thinking about it being in terms of this car or this promotion, uh, if you don't think of it like that, but if you think of it in terms of a process in which uh, religion might be an important part of it, yeah. uh, you can get that right now. You can get enmeshed in positive causal networks today. You can do things to get yourself enmeshed in these networks today uh, and to, and to uh, interrupt the negative ones. Oh, I think it's fascinating. And it, I mean, it really is, is. And your book's out. It's out at wherever you can get it. Get it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The yep. Good Life, right? Uh, unifying the Philosophy and Psychology of Well-Being. Um, just about 30 seconds is all we have left. Why don't you give us, Michael, I always call it the one thing. So when it comes to the network, if we want to begin that process of maybe understanding it, shoring it up, you know, other than your book, what's the one thing we should be focusing on? I think that um, what we want to do is think of ourselves as life mechanics in which we're trying to interrupt negative cycles, we're trying to promote positive cycles, and uh, to realize that if you think about yourself as a life mechanic, not everybody has the same engine. So right. you know, religion might work for some people, it might not work for other people. There are certain things that will work for some people and not for other people. Um, and it's not always obvious what's going to promote your well-being. So, so, and we don't know enough about how to promote your well-being, so it's important to tinker, to try new things, to think about uh, you know, what changes you can make in your life that will interrupt the negative uh, the negative. Uh, loops, the negative cycles, and what will promote or start new positive cycles. Bet. Damn, great advice. Well, Michael, we appreciate you. We wish you the best of luck, and uh, we'll take your advice. Continue growing that network. Network theory, and, and it's a big deal, folks. When people go out and create a new theory, I mean, you got to be on top of your game academically. So, uh, Michael Bishop, the real deal, right there at Florida State University. Go check out the book, The Good Life. We'll be right back right here on Matt Townsend Show. But I'm starting to believe that this could be the start of something good. Welcome back, everybody. This could be the start of something incredibly good. Because, you know, Valentine's Day, hours away. You should see James Birdsall licking his chops. So excited for Valentine's Day Eve with his lovely lady, McQuincy. What are you doing again for Valentine's Day, James? What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, We are going to work. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Pretty boring. Yeah, pretty much. But who knows? Maybe we'll watch a chick flick or something after work. Sounds like a winner. Yeah. Let me tell you. Okay, let me tell you. If you weren't in, if you weren't about to get engaged to this wonderful lady, that who, whose name you won't let me know, then I would send you on a trip with an airline. This is in the news, folks. Jetstar Airways, which is uh, it's an airline out of I guess Australia, is teaming up with Feng, Feng Shui Master to start offering blind dates. And what they do is they have a great campaign where with Feng Shui Master David Tong, they are going to basically take you, have you fill out a profile, 
They're going to get your zodiac pairing, so the person that best fits your your sign, and they're going to then find out the best place to send you. For example, for those of you that are born in the year of the horse, they're going to um, basically match you with somebody that is born in the year of the goat. Then these people would sit in row 9, 19, or 29. Those are the ideal rows. And travel from Jakarta to Singapore, let's say. And after, you'll get married. It's that simple. A lot of people, you know, want to date. Jetstar. They're figuring out a way to help you find the most compatible date ever. And for some crazy odd reason, they believe it's going to happen in tiny little seats in coach. I don't know. I felt a lot of things on an airplane. I've never felt love with a seatmate, except my wife. It sounds like a great idea, though. It just being, uh, you know, having that first date situation and uh, being stuck with that person for multiple hours. And uh, if it's a bad date, then good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if not, you know, get the parachute. Yeah, there you go. Bail out. Uh, maybe there's a better way to do it. So we wanted to bring on um, Dr. Andrea Bonnier with us. She is um, has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. She's seriously well-studied, well-read, and is an expert in relationships. Um, again, most people hate to be called that name of expert, but she, she really knows what she's doing. So we wanted to bring her on as, you know, Halloween, or I keep calling it Halloween. I think there's something subconscious in my mind about Valentine's Day that just scares me. As Valentine's Day is coming up, again, Andrea Bonnier, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. What do you think about that? Do you think an airline with a little feng shui master could, you know, be a great dating service? You know, I think that partly since dating is a numbers game, then it can help you, of course, meet yeah. people. It's so, another person. You know, yeah. Maybe, maybe luck will be on your side, and maybe it just so happens that the person that you're paired with will be somebody that you enjoy talking to. And as you said, though, you're kind of stuck with them. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you'll know in the first five minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you've got to commit to the rest of the flight. So, you know, I think it's a possibility. I think anything that exposes you to new people can certainly work out in your favor. But since, you know, since it's only one other person, and quite frankly, you're being paired just by your birthday, Day. My guess is that it's, you know, it's yeah. not a sure thing by any stretch. It's not a sure bet, is it? And when you think about it, uh, I mean, for Valentine's Day, a lot of people, you know, are so excited. It's so wonderful. For singles, sometimes they call it um, singles. It's sad. There's an acronym for sad. Do you remember what that was, James? Uh, anyway, it, it, it's, it's more sad for them because it just reinforces that they're not dating. How should people go about finding that special someone. What do you yeah, recommend? You know, you know, what I often recommend is just trying to focus on activities, 
you enjoy. And I know people have heard this before, and it kind of sounds like a cliche, but they don't really follow this advice. Sometimes you can get so caught up in, I need to find a person, a person, a person, that meanwhile you're spending time in bars, you're spending time just looking for people, and you're not actually enjoying whatever it is you're doing. So if you're able to take up a new interest or, you know, find some volunteer work that you like or join a softball league or whatever it is, connect with people in your neighborhood and get, you know, a potluck night going, then at least you know that you're doing things that are interesting. And what that really does is it maximizes your chances that you're going to find somebody who is like you because you're already doing things that you like. And so if somebody else is doing them too, you've got that much in common. And then, of course, also, if you don't find somebody, excuse me, it doesn't feel like such a waste. It doesn't feel like... Oh, I've just been searching and searching, and all I've got to show for it is a bunch of bar tabs. That's right. And if you like doing it, too, you're naturally going to be good or better at it, more relaxed. So they'll they'll kind of get a taste for who you really are. Exactly. Exactly. We're kind of our best selves when we're doing something that really resonates with us rather than just trying to put on a show for somebody else. Yeah. And then, of course, there's always the mutual friend thing. You know, if you talk with folks, a lot of times they have met somebody through a mutual friend. And that doesn't mean that you have to force your friends to always be matching you up or playing matchmaker. But just the more you circulate, the more you find good people to hang out with as friends, the more that you really enlarge your network and you're able to connect with their friends. And honestly, that really often shows some promise in meeting somebody. And then, of course, there's the Internet as well, which plenty of people have some success with. But it's still, I mean, it really is, it's a numbers game. You you need it, and most of us just, you know, we try it. Oh, that didn't work. That was miserable. That flight to Jakarta was horrible. Um, (laughs) But in reality, too, I guess, it's just if we can get enough people by us and then let us be who we are and maximize our gifts and our abilities, there will eventually be a connection and, and, an, and an, an attraction. Yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, it's just exposing yourself to new ideas and just getting out there. And the more people you meet, you're right, it is a number scan. The more that luck can be on your side. I think too many people, you know, we're getting sort of more isolated. It's like, okay, we step on an elevator, we immediately have to look at our smartphone. You know, right. Oh, right. We can actually make conversation with the person next to us. And I think we're getting more isolated. We have these huge social networks online, but sometimes it makes us not pay attention to who's standing right next to us. And I think in generations past, There were plenty of stories of, yeah, I met my wife waiting for the bus or, you know, we bumped into each other at the post office and started talking or or something like that. That's actually one of the neat things about the plane is that I think, you know, hey, at least it is forcing you to talk to somebody rather than (laughs) than just staring at your smartphone and thinking, oh, no, I hope the person next to me on the plane doesn't strike up a conversation. I really want to be searching the Internet. It's so true. And and, um, I I love to you. You wrote the book called The Friendship Fix. And um, the thing about this is when we approach somebody like they are a potential mate, that's so Mm -hmm. different than just trying to find a friend. So it seems like sometimes we sabotage our entire process by simply calling it a date. You know what I mean? Or by or by having it, it needs to be something else that it's not. Friendships can be fairly simple. And let's start there. Yes. Yes. Because ultimately, that's where you want to end, too. I mean, if you look at long term relationships, what really keeps them going, as you know, is 
that friendship quality, the ability to really respect and trust and feel that warmth, that companionship, it's not all having to do with that early spark of passion. And so I think if we if we start out with thinking, okay, let me make good friendships, let me surround myself with people that are good for me, rather than just, oh, I'm, I'm wildly attracted to this person, you'd be amazed at what might happen, because mm. there are plenty of stories of spark growing over time. And, and what are some more tricks, or not tricks, that sounds like, what are some tricks I can play on these people to capture them? Um, <laughs> no, so what are some more little rules, things we should do that, that enhance friendships or relationships, that, that cultivate more meaningful relationships? Yeah, you know, I think what people forget often is to really show an interest, be receptive. That includes making eye contact. That includes open body language. You know, all too often we're so focused on what we're going to say that we forget that half of the battle is how we listen, how we sort of take a conversation to the next level. So maybe there's that guy you always see at the gym and it's always small talk. Well, whether it's friendship or dating that you want, you've got to take it one step further by getting away from the small talk and actually following up on something that was said the last time. So, you know, it goes from always talking about the weather to remembering that he mentioned that his air conditioner was broken and asking the next time you see him, hey, how'd it go? Did you ever get that fixed? (laughs) And all of a sudden then you're building a connection. That's right. It's not sort of that superficial thing. And, And that works for friendship and dating. And it has to do with making that person feel like you actually are listening, like you actually are taking in what they have to say. Um, You know, again, so many times people have these little stories about themselves and they want to say this and they want to say that, and they don't realize that they're coming off as being very closed. They're coming off as not really being interested in what the other person has to say, and that's not their intention, and they really are interested, but they're afraid of asking questions. They don't want to be intrusive, and of course, you know, certain questions are intrusive, but in general, the more questions that you can ask that are sort of genuine, interesting conversation starters, the more that person's going to feel warmly to you, that's and so we fair. all like it when somebody makes us feel special. We totally we're do. actually being listened to. Mm-hmm. Even if they are on an airplane next to you, rubbing their feet. Whatever. It's all good. Well, we appreciate you so much. Uh, really, I, 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 it's such great advice. Andrea Bonnier's her name. She wrote the book, The Friendship Fix. Go check that out or go to her website, drandreabonnier.com. We're going to take a break, my friends, and uh, come back. Start hour number three of The Matt Townsend Show. Lots of fun ahead. We're going to be talking about resumes and how to make sure that uh, you're available in this awesome job market. We'll be back. More on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's six after the hour. Woohoo! Hour number three. Which means we've. Uh, You're just hyped up. Well, just excited. It's like I'm running to the end of the finish line here. It's been a great show. You're in the last, like, three miles of the marathon. And- yeah, Don just came in. And, cause yeah. It doesn't even feel like it because it feels like we've been on the air doing the morning show now for, I don't know, a while. A, a year. No. But it's just been a week. <laughs> 
And Don the Boss came in. We call him Don the Boss. He's the Don. He is the Don. He is the Don. And the Don comes in and says, um, maybe we got to throw a party or something. You know, the University of San Francisco Dons? Mm-hmm. That's him. That's him. He is, uh, so we're going to probably throw a party. I actually, I asked, maybe not a party. Let's just, let's just have nap time. What a great let's idea. Turn the lights out. You know, I used to have that in preschool. It's the greatest, I think, probably 20 minutes of my day. I know. Everybody would pull out their little rugs and you just take a little snooze. The funny thing is I, I have a ton of energy. I'm usually very energetic. But after the show, I go in my room and pretend to work. Well, yeah, but you were energetic when you were waking up at what, six or five? You know what else is funny? Somebody told me you're going to get used to this and I, my body actually is. I'm actually, I like getting up now. I'm sorry. It's only been a week. I mean, I don't love it, but I pop right up. Lucky. Actually, I'm actually pushed right out of bed. By your wife. <laughs> that makes it easy. See, that it makes does. it very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when that cold floor hits you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if I asked you guys, um, what city is the best city for love this Valentine's Day? Detroit. Hmm. Well, That's why would you, an why would you say that, James? I, I now, just... what's, what's, what's the confines? What? what, what What's the definition here in, in the city? I mean, what is, what is the best what area city, are we talking about? In uh, what what is in, just in the U.S.? Yep, in the United States. Oh, best city to find oh. love on Valentine's Day. We'll just say in the United States. Hmm. This is based on a study from Zillow. Zillow is the real estate app mm-hmm. that you can go. So why is Zillow doing a love? That's what they do because that's part part of the key is you know. Oh, you, you got to have a relationship to get a house where but... there's chances to find love. Yep. To find certain cities have a better city chance. To find love. Say find Thatcher, love. Arizona. Wow. I'm thinking Albuquerque. Nope. Not even close. Okay, wait, wait. I got to go with San Francisco then. Because uh, everybody leaves their heart San there. San Francisco's ninth. Oh. Galveston, Texas. Not even close. Oh. Texas isn't even in the running. Ha, Omaha, Nebraska. Nope. You guys are missing it. Where would the most singles? Here's basically the criteria they used. They looked at cities with a population of more than 250,000 people. Oh, well, okay. Well, larger oh, cities changes. then, yeah. Well, well, wouldn't that give you a better chance of having finding love? Yeah, uh, that makes sense. It uh, depends on the, the percentage know, of population that's single. In Arizona, there might be one single person, and she might be a widow that's 80. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But probably. Well, more than 250,000 people, that's some large cities. And... A lot of hot date night spots, kind of date spots, restaurants, bars, movie theaters, mm-hmm. a high number of single people. So urban who, living. Who can afford these types of establishments. So the rankings go like this. Number one. Actually, let's do number 10. Number 10, Raleigh. Nine, San Francisco. Eight, Nashville. By the way, some of these are really cool places. Nashville? Yeah, Nashville would be great. Mm-hmm. I would think people, well, I don't know. Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Denver, St. Louis, Boston, Atlanta, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C., number one. So if you're looking for love... That's where politics is. That's not love. Well, that's that's because you have all the interns. There is no love in that city. All the interns are in Washington, D.C. That's exactly right. Yeah, but that doesn't mean there's love there. That's true. It's just the best city to look for it. Remember that that country song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? That might be the wrong place. I think that's the wrong wrong place. They wrote that about Washington, D.C. I would think so. You guys. Come on. Hey, uh, do you believe that the economy is back? Yes. I mean, I'm feeling it. Yeah. Well, it's like Arnold. Yeah. What does that mean? I'll be back. 
Yeah, don't say that. Well, it's like a robot from the future. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I'm not even going to talk to you guys, but in reality, it's back. And yet, I have a lot of people that still can't find jobs. That is true. They can't get jobs. Well, that's because the economy may be back, but employers are not they're not they're still not kind of high. well they're they're hiring but they're not yeah. hiring for the same positions that were out there. Well yeah, and see they're they're probably a little leery. They need to kind of they've reworked their yeah. job, their their, their business plans and stuff, yeah. Well, and also I think just like with different regulations and such, there's some limits on on how they can hire who they can hire. time, maybe mm-hmm. everyone, they want to keep them under certain numbers yeah, so exactly. we don't have to give benefits and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Here's the problem. So we just had our new producer we just hired Terry. Terry South. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry South Jr. And um, he's not here today. We, we sent him away to camp, producer camp. Actually, he's shadowing somebody else around here. Yeah, he's he shadowing. Is here, he but he's, he's just producer camp. Yeah. yeah, Producer. He's shadowing. In fact, I just saw him walk by, and they were shadows, literally. Um, yeah, he was doing that shadow walk where you have to walk right behind yeah. him and step. Awkward. It was really weird. But here's the thing. He has been looking... And he's very well-trained, very yes. well-skilled, but he's been looking forever. Yep. And has taken a bunch of different jobs because he needs to take care of his family. Mm-hmm. And then he finally found this one. So it's it's not – I mean, it, right now, imagine if you had to go out and find a job right now, how prepared would you be? Oh. Uh, how I, motivated would you be? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to tell me something, Matt? No. Is this that proverbial sliding the brochure over of how to? <laughs> well, what's it going to take? <laughs> we're going to have to break the news to him that, you know, he's got to find more than a part-time job in order to Support. sustain a, yeah. a, a, you know, a spouse, a family, Wait, a, family and a house. But I have a feeling uh, his fiance is rich. McQuaid. She's going to be making the money. Oh, well. You know, with the chef knives, yeah. I can neither confirm nor deny that she is independently wealthy. Oh. Well, can I just suggest before you marry her, you find out? <laughs> confirm that. <laughs> or deny it. <laughs> or deny it. Okay. Make sure you know because that that's a that's a big deal. I'd be like, honey, can I see your tax return? Just please. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad but true. I mean, when you think about the whole show, we have all this technology. We have all of these opportunities. We have companies like Apple being valued at whatever, $800 million. Is that right? It's crazy. $800 billion. Probably. Yeah, I'd say it's probably in the billion. $800 billion, I meant. It's a big deal. And then jobs, they're still kind of hard to find. So one of the things we wanted to put together for today's uh, show is we want to bring in an expert, uh, somebody that can help us figure out how to go about finding a job, what are the real uh, tools, the, the things we need to focus on. We could spend forever looking for, um, you know, re- putting our resumes up online, going through the, the job websites and all of these different sources. But instead, why don't we first figure out what, what are the keys? What are the people that are out there hiring actually look for? So we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jennifer Anderson is going to be joining us. She is a pro in this field and is a coach that coaches people on how to actually brand themselves well, how to make sure you look good, how you're prepared. Powerful, powerful stuff to make sure we can get a job in this uh, you know emerging healthy economy that's coming back. We'll give you the tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show after this break. 
because I'm working for a living. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three. It's 16, almost 17 past the hour. Wrapping up this crazy show. And who better to do it than Jennifer Anderson, who has uh, been a friend of mine for some time. But Jennifer is the real deal when it comes to helping you move forward with solutions. That's the name of her website, movingforwardsolutions.com. Jennifer Anderson is known as a career coach, Jen. She is a career strategist with over 16 years experience. She consults with companies to build the careers of the employees and uh, also helps managers to retain their star employees. She has served on the board of several organizations, is published on Forbes, and is sought, uh, sought after speaker and career development expert. She's also a great friend who, by the way, carrying the title Anderson, is new to her. She used to be Jennifer Armitstead. Jennifer, are you there? I am. Good morning. You're the real deal. <laughs> yes, yeah, thanks. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So I was looking on Facebook, and all uh-huh. of a sudden I saw your mug, and I thought, wow, that's Je- Hold it. She's not Anderson. You, you done went out and snuck a wedding. I did. I did, yep. Are you happy? So- I am. I am very happy. And Chad's a great guy. And you can tell. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're having having a great time. You're traveling so all over. I noticed that. <laughs> of course. It just know. seems like you don't even work anymore. <laughs> oh, but I'm I, working. I know you me. do. I don't know how you could ever quit, but you're always traveling. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. You deserve it. Thank you. Hey, um, the economy's rebounding. I don't know if you heard this. Uh (laughs) The numbers never lower, except some are complaining, saying, I think the numbers are a little out of whack. But whatever the case, apparently jobs are coming out. And I have a feeling, just as somebody that went through a bunch of resumes as we were looking for some new uh, producers here on the show, a lot of people don't know how to do a resume, do they? (laughs) Amen. Do you see that a lot? Yes. Yes, I have. What's the big deal with, I mean, what what are people looking for? So somebody, you're in there, you're coaching these people. They have to, everybody could have a brand now. You live in a, a day and an age where everybody could have their own image. The, and, and they really need to think of it that way because they have their own social media. We check out social media when we're, when we're looking to hire somebody. What are the things that people need to worry about when they're going in to approach a company for a job? So what, are you talking about in regards to the resume? It could be. Well, first, let's just talk about yeah. in general. What are oh, you general. What are you looking for when you're out hiring sure. someone? Yeah. So what I'm noticing, the, the big trends right now with companies when they're looking to hire, they are wanting to hire people that not only have skill, but have something interesting to bring to the table. And so for a long time, there was always this interest of, separating our personal stuff from work mm-hmm. and people don't really want to do that anymore. They want to work with people who they enjoy and they want to be friends with. So not so much just like, yeah, he's funny and he's great to hang out with, but um, common interests and likes. You think of like the lunch hour, for example, I can think of a team of software developers where they love to go bicycle riding. And so when they are interviewing and recruiting people to come work for their company, they're very deliberate about finding people who are athletic because that's what they like to do. And if you go in their office, there's bikes, like the front lobby has a bike rack. I mean, yeah. the whole, I mean, it's very much part of it. So 
And you would think, well, what on earth does that have to do with being a software developer? And it really doesn't other than it gives them a chance to break away from their desk and exercise and get their juices flowing in a different way so that they can come back to work and do other great work. But for somebody to join that team who really doesn't care about exercise and um, and it's just not, it doesn't take care of their body, that's not a priority to them, then there's going to be a misalignment in how those people get along in general. Yeah. And so it's so important, you know, to really know what the culture is of your company. But then I think it's also important for the, the job seekers to not be afraid to open up and talk about who they are. And there's so many cool things you can do, like on social media, to express your interests and whatnot as well. So, I mean, you really need to make sure it's kind of a... It's a balanced approach, too, so that your social media reflects everything else you're sending out, right? I mean, and, and, and almost enhances oh, yeah. it. Because if, oh, especially sure. if you have your social media addresses on, you could even make it easy and put those on your application if you're, mm-hmm. you know, in some of mm-hmm. them anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially your LinkedIn profile. It's yeah. really, you know, that's a great way to give people even a bigger perspective of your whole career. Because on your resume, if you're right out of college, you're going to have a one-page resume. Eventually, once you get to about 10 years of experience, you should have a two-page resume. But anything longer than two pages is not really appropriate for most, most jobs. Right. Um, I mean, you can go longer, but that's typically more when you're applying to some kind of scientific PhD program. Some, I mean, you get into this whole other realm, but for most people, two pages once you have more than 10 years of experience. So, but still, if you think about it, 10, 15 years of experience, so maybe you're 30, 35 years old, you still have a whole lot of life that you do outside of work. Right. Two pages on a resume is not going to give the full picture of who you are. So use those social media channels to really fill in the rest. Where, I mean, where do you learn about a resume anyway? You know what I mean? Because what I learned 25 years ago, not going to cut it. Yeah, no, no. Definitely. We're in a different age, right? <laughs> definitely. So there's, you can certainly go and speak with somebody at an academic institution. So if you are a graduate of a university, you can always go back to the career services department and you can ask them what are they What are they seeing? Because those career services departments are supposed to be keeping abreast of what those companies want to see on the resumes, you know, because you've got companies who will go there to recruit students. So those career services folks should be asking those companies, okay, well, what is it that you like to see on the resume? How do you like to see this put together? So so that would be a good resource. Um, I'm a big proponent of hiring a resume writer. I think they're worth their weight in gold. Um, And so there's some services out there that are the big resume mills. I really don't care for those. I don't think they do a very good job of personalizing. But if you can find a resume writer, like more of the individual one-off person, um, I've got a couple of great people that I love to work with. And so, you know, if people need help with that, you can always contact me through my website and then I'd be happy to put them in touch with those folks. But um, but working with a resume writer, they are experts at gathering all the information about you and putting it in such a way that you look really slick. And they are very good at keeping abreast of what are the current trends and whatnot. And I've had people say, well, I don't want to spend money to do that. I should just be able to type it up. I'm like, well, I get it, but it's going to take you many, many hours to figure it out. Right. What else could you be doing with that time, you know, versus just hiring a resume writer to do it for you? Well, plus you're sensitive in a way to things and you might understand, you might think certain things are more valuable than others might. I mean, it's just kind of nice to have another mind that, that is a pro at this pushing you along. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Plus, they're going to pick up on things that you don't even know you're supposed to be paying attention to. Right. So it's kind of like if I ever went to build a house or something, why on earth would I learn how to become an electrician and a plumber and right. painter and framer? I wouldn't do that. I would hire the people who that's their expertise are going to come in and do it fast. They've got the tools. They know what they're doing, and they'll take care of it quickly. And um, and they'll know what to pay attention to as opposed to me having to do the whole DIY, the do-it-yourself mm-hmm. thing where I've got to learn. And so, anyhow, I just think it's easier to use resume writers. Are, are there some things you just shouldn't put on your resume? And then are there other things that you got to have there? Sure. Well, you shouldn't put on there your photo. Here in the United States, that's a big no-no. Is it? So if you're, yeah, if you're in Europe, you definitely have to include your photo and the equivalent of your social security number. But, Jen, what so if you look really good? It'll be on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> good point. Okay. Yes. What, what, what if you've been working out a lot and you have a, you have a photo of you at the beach? Oh, boy. Please don't put that on your LinkedIn profile. Okay. Please. All right. Just check it. Yes, James, I have James, seen people. Take I've that seen off. people do that, and it is no, no bueno. Yeah. Well, let's, not, let's not go there. Unless your job is to be a physical trainer, then yes, that sure. is your. That's part of who you are. Um, but the and, and so on your <laughs> resume, you want to leave off things that um, really anything older than fifteen years work experience is really not necessary because it's not relevant anymore. Technology and things have changed so much. And so after going back at any more than 15 years is kind of a waste. And then that will give you more space to elaborate on what you have been doing for the last 15 years. Yeah. And then um, you want to avoid putting anything on there. Um, like, for example, I tell people you don't have to put your address on there. You can wait and give people your address when you're actually filling out an application. Um, and so... Um, part of that too, I think, is just for privacy factors. I get worried about people sending their resume off to a bunch of places and they don't even really know where it's going to go. Oh, that's true, huh? So, like, especially yeah. on these big sites. I mean, you've got. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Should I put, uh, if I'm, let's say I'm 45, should I put that I got an Eagle Scout? I love that. <laughs> you know, I have yeah. seen that problem with so many folks. I know. Um, and so to me, and, and which is funny because anybody that knows anything about Eagle Scouts, you know, really it was the mom that got it. Yeah. And so she should get the credit Well, it for just it. says I have a great mom. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> Somebody cared enough. If they're hiring moms, that's yeah. great. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, so with the Eagle Scout, if you are a recent college grad, I think it's okay. But once you get into your 30s, let it go. If it's that important to you, if you're that passionate about the scouting program and, and whatnot, then I just tell people, wear your Eagle Scout little pin on your lapel. You know, there you if go. it's that critical when you go to the interview, put it on there. But yeah, it's so but, far back, it doesn't, it's not relevant. Well, and don't wear your merit badge sash. <laughs> right. With, with like 21 merit badges over your chest. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there because you never know. You yeah, never know. True. Yes. We have to deliver it and tell people exactly, no, that is not okay. <laughs> hey, can you it's take your sash good. off? I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, hey, exactly. What about, because um, one, that, one that I see and um, is, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, LDS people have gone on missions. They've gone. They've. I, I lived in Argentina for two years. I was fluent in Spanish at one point in my life. I've lost it since. Um, no, sadly. But I mean, is that information that we want on the resume? It seems super valuable. You know, you you served abroad. You volunteered. You did all of this. Mm-hmm. Is that valued? 
Yeah, I think it's fine. And it's even valued outside of a community that's not primarily LDS yeah. because they recognize that living abroad for a couple of years and that kind of service that you do is really a character builder. It's great for becoming, you know, more of a of, uh, of the purposeful person. And so I think it's great to include it, put it under your volunteer section, and then don't just list that you served a mission, but list maybe some of your favorite projects. A lot yeah. of them get to do things like helping to work in the library, or maybe they work in orphanages, or maybe they're doing building projects. Teaching English, yeah. Teaching English. You know, there's so many. So list some of those things so that it's not just that you served a mission, because mm-hmm. sometimes people think that that gives enough weight to having done that i don't that that's a, that's fine but i want to know the the meat yeah. of what did you accomplish and that's the case for people in any kind of religious organization out there if you're out doing any kind of service related to your church your synagogue your mosque whatever it is include those things because um otherwise you're just leaving it to assumption that you think the person right knows what what does that mean yeah so and with united way or any volunteer work say what you did uh-huh. do tell talk about what you did let's yeah. let's do this um we're talking with uh, jennifer anderson uh she's a coach she's a a, a an employment sp- not a specialist, but she's teaching us how to get a job for real, what we're supposed to be doing, how these resumes should look. She's a career coach. You can go to her website, movingforwardsolutions.com. She's also out there. If you just go Google career coach Jen, you're going to get stuff. She's been doing this for 16 years. She's put a lot of information out there, and uh, she's helping us uh, be better employees and how to promote ourselves a little bit better as we're looking for jobs. We'll take a break, come back, more with Career Coach Jen right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. The Matt Townsend Show. Oh, you got to get the job first before you can go work nine to five. And then sometimes you are working nine to five and you want to get another job. We're talking with career coach Jen. Jennifer Anderson's her name. And she is, uh, when it comes to understanding what companies want, she's the coach. She's the one that uh, helps organizations to kind of to, to enhance their employees. She does training. She helps managers to retain their star employees. She served on several boards. She uh, has a website, movingforwardsolutions.com, and she's teaching us right now uh, her tips on resumes, what we need to make sure we have on the resume, what we might not want to have on the resume. She, uh, without even knowing it, she helped me correct an error that our own uh, board operator, James Birdsall, had made on his LinkedIn uh, account, which was um, he had a lot of, teach, a lot of uh, pictures from the beach, a lot of flexing. I looked really good in those pictures. Mm-hmm. And he just took them down because uh, Jen's like, you know, it's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for your abs, you know. So, Jen, we appreciate it. He's he's sad now. But I mean I'm like what you should be sad about James are your abs. Ouch. Not the picture. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
He, oh boy. Yeah, it's you know, we're just tr- we're trying to help him. You don't know the whole story, but we 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 found James on the front step of BYU Broadcasting as a little baby, mm. and we've been raising him since a pup. And now we're ready to kind of you know get him ready to f- you know fly the coop. You know, trying to get rid of him <laughs> in a good way. Jen, talk about these resumes because um, I guess no more than two pages. If you really have a lot of information, if you've been in your business, your job a lot, try to keep it really, I guess, to one. Hire a writer. What else do we need to know? That make What makes a good resume? What else do we need to watch out for? Okay. So I think that um, there's, in the past, People were so excited to put the objective on their resume. You may have remembered yeah, yeah. something like in the past. And so it's so uh, 1997 to have that on your resume. <laughs> not to date so, anybody. Yeah, not yeah. to date anybody. But um, you want to make sure that you don't put the objective on there. And then um, instead to just indicate whatever the position is. So underneath your name and your contact information, in a, you can put whatever the position is. So XYZ company, such and such position. And so that is a lot more impactful. It's more specific because what were our objectives before? To secure a position with a company that will let me use my skills and compensate me mm-hmm. well for it or, you know, something ridiculous like that. And yeah. so it's like, well, duh, obviously. So it's just so not helpful anymore. Yeah, I mean, um, and, and if you're too desperate, like I'm desperately seeking yeah. employment to feed my family uh-huh. and pay off my student debt. Right. That's right. You don't want to sound too desperate either. No, no, you don't want to. And the other part, too, is that there I have seen people put so much information on a resume that it is just crazy thick, you know, and we don't want to be reading something that's akin to like the IRS tax code or something. Yeah, right. This is your resume. And so please, please, please make it so that it's somewhat interesting about you. But you always want to think about on your resume, think of the perspective of the person who's reading it. So it's kind of like if you're writing a book, you would want to think about who's going to be reading this. So let me speak to that audience. So when it comes to your resume, speak to the audience of who you think is going to be reading it. So more than likely, your resume is first going to start off with somebody associated with the human resources department, like a recruiter, an HR manager, somebody who's doing the first line screening looking at your resume. They are going to be reviewing your resume, looking for the things that the manager said that they want to see. And so let's say if it's a software um, let's say it's a software developer position, back to that example from before, and they have specific technical skills, it's really easy to put that on there. But the other things you want to pay attention to are what are some of the other intangibles that they might be looking for in a software developer. So somebody that is quick to learn, somebody who takes the um, it takes the initiative, somebody who's proactive. And so, and you can't just say I am proactive and take the initiative. Yeah. Okay, great. So give an example <laughs> of you being right. proactive. Exactly. So that's the whole thing is you want to think what is it that they are going to be looking for. And so that's again why two-page resume is pretty good because it gives you enough space to fill things in and to give some examples. But at the same time, do not overspeak it. Come on, people. You've got to yeah. leave something for the conversation, too. You that's know, right. Give enough you know, that people can sink their teeth into and say, okay, there's some meat here. And then they're going to want to invite you in for the, you know, to have a full conversation well, with you. And certain credentials, certain numbers, certain things speak for themselves, right? I mean, having mm-hmm. being certification in this one type of 
you know, coding or whatever, everybody uh-huh. that's in that field knows what that takes. So right. get that on there. That speaks a lot. Uh, or like sales numbers, numbers that you right. can prove. Numbers, if they call the other company, they'll be able to somewhat validate. I mean, mm-hmm. it's and it, I guess, too, you have to sell yourself. So you might need to get over. A lot of people, I think, are shocked and hurt that, and maybe feel undervalued, like they're not as good as they really are, and they maybe undersell themselves. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because we're taught from a young age to be humble and yeah. let our work speak for itself. Well, I'm sorry, people, but these folks never worked with you. So what on earth is speaking to them? Your resume or if somebody's making an introduction on your behalf, a verbal introduction. They're speaking on your behalf to say, hey, Matt's amazing. You've got to hire him for X, Y and Z reasons. And so. Um, yeah, so you have to know your numbers for sure. I mean, numbers sell. And so if you can show that you increase productivity by a certain percentage or if you, um, you know, raise sales revenue by a certain percentage yeah. or, you know, something like that, you can do those. Because sometimes it's really not okay to indicate exact numbers because right. there's yeah. things, you know, about industries and, and proprietary information. but. You can still talk about success from an over, you know, from a bigger perspective. But it's um, great advice. Yeah. Maybe do this. Give us. We got about twenty seconds. What would okay. you say the number one key when it comes to resumes? What is the what's the thing we should keep top of mind? Um, make sure you make sure you need leave enough white space on your resume. So don't have it be just you know edge to edge full of print. Make sure you need to leave enough white space so people's eyes have a break as they're absorbing and reading it. It'll make the experience with your information more pleasurable for them. Yeah. Then now they can read it. That's just mm-hmm. that just is common sense. That's the neat thing about you, Jen. You're just full of common sense. <laughs> they, they can find more out about you and your great services at the website movingforwardsolutions.com. Jennifer Anderson is her name, and she is also known as the as career coach Jen. Just uh, look that up, and you'll be amazed. Super talent. Folks, just keep it simple. Keep it simple, but believe in yourself and be willing to tell, uh, tell more about yourself. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our friends from BYU Sports Nation, we're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We're also going to see what happened to our, our producer, Terry South. We sent him away to producer camp with the guys from BYU Sports Nation. We're going to see how that's going. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to go downstairs, Studio B, with our great friends from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matt. Hey, we're starting something new. What? Jerem Jerem pointed this out to me last night. It is the Matt Townsend effect. MTE. MTE. Every time we talk to you, apparently something big goes down. Last night it was BYU dominating St. Mary's by 22. They played their best game of the year, Matt. That's the MTE. The MT hashtag MT. That's hashtag MT. I'm scared to look that up. It's the Matt Townsend effect. That was a huge game, by the way. 
Oh, it was outstanding. I mean, just it was a peak moment for sure. And so, yeah, you have that's to the te- best view you, you can have to play, temper I think. those those expectations for the rest of the season. But it was a glimpse of like, wow, this this team can be special. It was yeah. really good. Tyler Haas got two fouls early in that game. Had only played six minutes in the first half. Yet BYU got this really big lead. Played really good defense. Rebounded the basketball. It was awesome. Now what? BYU sits in a position where. I think they're confident going down the stretch. They can win out and then see what they can do at Gonzaga. Uh, what about Kafusi? Hey. He get... didn't score a point, but he played awesome. Like, he had four blocks, Plays five like a football rebounds. player. Man, it, he, was, he was instrumental inside. The, the big men collectively played probably their best game of the season. The uh, best player for St. Mary's is Brad Waldo, uh, one of the best big men in the country, uh, 20 points, 10 rebounds a game guy. Mm. Uh, Waldo, naturally, there's some jokes there. Yeah. Um, so I'm holding the, back. The, 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 I won't. The roar of the Cougars, <laughs> the student, student section, the rock, in the second half <laughs> when BYU was up 20-plus, yeah. they were up 31 at one point, was chanting, where's Waldo? <laughs> that is awesome. Well played. Well played. Hey, um, you know what is, is super cool about it? If I can bring this, the Matt Townsend effect to your show, <laughs> I think single-handedly, to, or together, I mean, we could change BYU forever. That's, that was the goal. That's that's part of our mission statement. I We're think. trying to get everybody on the BYU NCAA tournament train, Matt. Hey, uh, you know what else I want to thank you guys for? What's that? Um, we sent our producer Terry South down there to uh, producer camp with yeah, Ben he's, Bagley. He's partied with us this morning. Has he been partying with you? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's he doing? He's doing really well. Is he As for the future of your show, uh, <laughs> can't make any promises <laughs> you know because what? of his exposure to us. He was so excited to go to camp. Um, he was just hoping he gets his free T-shirt. He'll Ooh, have to talk I... to his homie Ben Bagley, our, yeah. our supervising producer. I think we can work something out. Did you oh, guys... by the way, yeah. we, we received the uh, Coca-Cola milk. How'd you, what'd you think? We haven't tried it yet. Oh, come on. We'll get on we, that We're going to try it today. Yeah. You know what? You, you need We're to working tr- on the uh. raccoon gravy first, and then we'll do the, uh, <laughs> the milk. It's sad. That it's, was greatly appreciated, by the way. Sean O'Neill came over, and I was like, what's he's, this? He's, he's taking like, care of you. Yeah, he always has. Hey, the just, milk. just remember that actually Sean paid for that, but we'll take credit for the Matt Townsend show paying for it. Just remember that we're taking care of you guys. Of course. Someday, though, what I would like in return are some of those flashy blue light glasses that you guys are wearing. Oh, on the <laughs> yeah. See, this is these are exclusive. I got these from a fan last night because we have the normal blue goggles that uh, are the rave glasses yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But uh, did you just fan, say rave on BYU Radio? Yes, I did. A fan walked up to me last night and he said, "Spencer." So I walk over and he said, "Hey, I figured you guys could use a little more pizzazz with your blue goggles." Things are hot, Gave man. Gave them to me yeah. and he walked back up the stairs and I was like, "This is awesome." And they're they're so hot right now. Yeah. yeah. Wear those to the. The dance. <laughs> the dance? <laughs> to the, not the rave? To the prom. We're not going to call it the rave. Where yeah, what does 30, 30 plus married LDS people go to in terms of dance? That's I a great question. They just go no. to church dances. <laughs> that's still a thing? That's, that's, oh, yeah. You have to get a, a dance card still, too. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Well, guys, we, uh, we love being with you. And, uh, you know, if we can just keep the MTE effect, let's do that. Hashtag MTE. Change the world. Thanks, gentlemen. Hey, when you're done with Terry, send him back to work. We'll do that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Have a great man. show. Good stuff. We know it's a true. We, we, together, the combined forces, we are single-handedly changing BYU sports. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall gets a lot of credit. Is this almost like the Justice League then? Yeah. Hmm. Bronco gets a lot of credit. Dave Rose. 
So they're the Wonder Twins. Mm-hmm. And I'm... <laughs> Superman? Batman? I'm Gumby. Aquaman? <laughs> Gumby, the flexible green thing. Wonder Woman? Okay. Anyway. Yeah, I think Germ's Wonder Woman. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> by the way, uh, when we, this is it, guys. It's Friday the 13th. That it is. This is the scary, dark side of Valentine's Day. Tomorrow, love. Tonight, Friday the 13th. Fear. Fear. You know, just superstition. Heartbreak. Danger. Don't don't go on the date tonight. Yeah. Don't do it a day early. By the way, I wouldn't. Some people, I heard of a guy that's working on Valentine's Day. That can happen. They're working, and they rescheduled Valentine's Day to a week away. Okay. You can't do that. Why not? Because don't mess. If you've with discussed it, if you've discussed it with your spouse, partner, or significant other, I have no problem with it. Well, talk to Saint Valentine. By the way, that person's James. He's not alive anymore. You know the cool thing, by the way, Saint is, Valentine, not James. Yeah, James is still alive. <laughs> still here. Still alive. He did take his his uh, hot pictures down from the from LinkedIn. Well, That's a lot good. of people were worried when I took those pictures down that something bad had happened. Right. Yeah. But you know, still ticking. No, you're still you're still you're still awesome. Incredible. Yeah. Um, as we get ready, everybody, take it serious, folks. Relationships matter, and uh, again, Valentine's Day is just one day. It's not the only day to show love. True. But also, as we've suggested on the show so many times, maybe go a little bit deeper than just. Grabbing some Slim Jims and some flowers at the local 7-Eleven. Slim Jims would not be my choice. Now, the flowers, yes. Slim Jims, no. No. Um, a little uh, advice, too, I've got for you. Um, when it comes to uh, you could make Valentine's Day a, a daily event. Yes. It doesn't. That's a good thing to do. It's not just today or tomorrow. It's not just. And it doesn't have once. to be a huge thing. No, no. It's, just a simple. You could you could do things like giving a card, mm-hmm. or just a hug, giving a, a little kissy kiss. Yeah, that works. Or a high five. In the end, uh, the most important thing everybody wants to know on Valentine's Day is that they're loved, they're appreciated, that they're safe. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like the New Year's. Don't wait until January 1st to make a goal. Don't don't wait till Valentine's Day to show the person that you love them. I wait till February 1st. Okay, yeah, that's good. To make the goal. That's really good. By the way, my anniversary is February 15th. I'm sorry. And on Valentine's Day, I do this big thing, and I yep. so I don't, I'm not really great on Valentine's Day. I'm kind of in a because you're worried about your anniversary the next day. <laughs> yeah, it's because I've I've got to speak to a thousand people and it freaks me out sometimes. Mm-hmm. So um, let me just suggest to one more thing: we also got to be careful of what we think love is. Um, I have uh, just a model for love that I want to that I want to put out there. Um, okay, there's a great story that I heard. I actually read, um, and it's. How do I say this? It's a story about a man in a wheelchair, a young man. Okay. And he's out on a date with his lovely girlfriend, Anna. And he's severely disabled. Is she, like, pushing him or— Yeah, yeah, they go together, and and she does a lot for for him. And one of the problems, though, is sometimes we can't frame love except 
um, you know, kind of one way. Healthy man, healthy kind of woman kind right. of thing. I understand. One of the things— You have a picture of it in your head, and you're thinking, well, this doesn't match. That's what it is. So here's this really smart, able person just in a body that's not cooperating. Okay. In a wheelchair— He's disabled, and everybody always kind of assumes that the the beautiful woman with him is his nurse. Oh, or his sister. Oh, that's they, they oh, don't no. think he. They don't has think a he girlfriend. can have a relationship because mm-hmm. he's in a wheelchair. Uh huh. Basically, and so people are like, "Oh, are you his sister?" Because she's so attentive, she's so caring. Every once in a while, when he kind of gets tipped sideways, she has to kind of lift him up right, and, and right. center him again. And um, so he gets asked this a lot. And he says, there's nothing inherently wrong with the question. No. But if I saw two young people out having a nice meal together, I would probably assume that they were dating. <laughs> I wouldn't assume that that was brother and sister. He says, on various occasions, my girlfriend has been asked if she was my nurse. Once a person blankly asked if she was the one who takes care of him. Oh, that's not nice. We've gotten used to this bizarre reoccurring question, and often we find ways to poke fun at their ignorance. The Anna, his girlfriend, would say, oh, no, he's my dad. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, at or, least they or, can yeah. joke about it, though. Yeah, or he'll say, like, I just pay her to be my friend. <laughs> just stuff like that. But the reality is— It sounds is, like they're handle, handling it in a healthy way. They are. And, yeah. and the, the thing is, though, when he talks about the love that they actually have, it's— I mean, it's a big deal. She walks in, and she has to learn a lot of stuff. So this is a this Anna is a person that just senses how great he is and knows how great he is. He, he says, sure, I can't hold hands in the traditional sense, but we make it work. To be fair, our fingers look like a catastrophic train wreck once they're intertwined in the precise position that I can manage. Hmm. Uh, I can't pick her up in my car. So what, he says. She enjoys driving, and so we make it work. And no, I can't go mountain climbing with her, but I can make her laugh, so we find other activities and we make it work. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll leave the most intimate details out of his books. He doesn't talk about his, that personal stuff. But he says, once I realize that there are girls out there who are more than happy to make it work, the fear of being unloved for all eternity drifted away like a funny joke of the past. Cool. He said, today I live with the firm belief that an able-disabled relationship can even be more satisfying than your average romance. Hmm. And they are in love. That is sweet. And so maybe, and by the way, this is a a blogger um, on the morning call called Shane Burkaw, B-U-R-C-A-W, from the morning call. And uh, maybe all of us need to be willing to reframe what love is. It's not always what you're getting in the love. Many, many, many times I'm noticing it's what we're giving in the love. And one of the things I will challenge you to do as we wrap up the show today, will you make a point, make an effort uh, this Valentine's Day to actually recreate what love means? So instead of it being the flowers or instead of it being the note or the chocolate, make sure you actually connect into the person that you are loving with, that you actually create an intimate moment eye to eye and, and really connect with them. And make sure you're still tuned in to them, not just to a holiday, not just to a technique, not just to flowers or roses. Anyway, thanks, Shane Burkoff, for teaching us a very, very valuable lesson. Love can be there for everyone. Thanks for joining us again. That's it. That's the week, my friends. Again, Monday, we're starting this all over again. More ideas, more tools. Actually, Tuesday, President's Day. Uh, 
you know, you got to take a break. We're out of here. Till Tuesday, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Have a great weekend.